tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, that's our free phone number. It uh, won't cost you to make a call, and Leanne is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, the upcoming uh, referendum uh, is being portrayed as a foregone conclusion, but could the government be in for a shock? We'll hear from a Tipperary woman uh, who will tell us about her cancer diagnosis while pregnant with her fifth child. Is the new recycling scheme a bit of a dud? Uh, we have global news with uh, Thomas Conway, as usual, on a Monday. And uh, our Women in Business slot features Alison Devere Hunt uh, this week. So I'm looking forward to that chat after 11. Increase in crime in our rural villages. And Nina to showcase an exhibition for women going through menopause. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp. 083 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at uh, some of the front pages. Let's start off with the Irish Times, and it's dominated by some wonderful photographs of uh, a very fine Tipperary woman, indeed, Mary MacDonald, 75 from Gralla. Uh, Nina, and a picture of her doing a tandem skydive with her son Michael yesterday at uh, the Irish Parachute uh, Club uh, to raise funds for medical aid for Palestinians. But I'll be speaking to Mary a little bit later on, and I'm looking forward to, to doing so. And she looks very happy in the photographs, if a little frightened, but we'll find out the full story. Also on the Times today, the US President uh, Joe Biden has told the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that a military operation in the city of Rafa in southern Gaza should not proceed without a plan to ensure the safety of more than one million people sheltering there. Also on the Times, the most senior civil servant in the Department of Housing has clashed with his counterpart in the Department of Integration over the increasing numbers of asylum seekers being pushed from direct provision into homelessness. Right across the newspapers as well today, coverage of that really uh, great tragedy in uh, Waterford last week. Gardaí investigating the death of the six-year-old near uh, Dunmore East in County Waterford. Uh, they're hoping to interview a suspect today. Of course, the six-year-old is little Matthew Healy and detectives uh, suspect the schoolboy was suffocated uh, before he was found in the back seat of a car um, in County Waterford. And uh, the criminal investigation is uh, focusing on his death being the result of foul play. But a great tragedy there for sure. Uh, the Irish Examiner, and they're telling us that the number of people who have died by the time an ambulance got to their home has increased by 70% in the last eight years, and that's according to the HSE. And uh, on the Independent uh, today, their main story, Irish construction workers living abroad are going to be encouraged back home to help address the housing crisis under a new government plan. The Irish Daily Mail Almost 200,000 hospital appointments were cancelled in the first nine months of 2023, uh, including hundreds of children 
waiting for chemo. So that's a look at what's making headlines today. If you would like to uh, make comments on any of that, again, we'd love to hear from you. Text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Now, on March 8th, uh, we'll be asked to vote in two referendums to change our constitution. The first concerns the concept of family in the constitution. The second proposes to delete an existing part of the constitution and insert a new text providing recognition for care provided by family members to each other. Now, you have two separate votes on whether you wish to make the proposed changes to the current text of Article 41 of the constitution. But it's kind of interesting because with the government and the main opposition parties advocating a yes vote, it may prove difficult to reflect the thoughts of those who advocate for a no vote. Well, joining me now is Sorka Nicklachlan from The Countess. That's a volunteer organisation promoting the rights of women. Uh, good morning to you, Sorka. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you so much for, for coming on with us today. Just give us a little more information about The Countess before we go on, if you would. Like you said, we're an organisation that um, advocates for women. We also um, advocate for children and vulnerable LGB people in Ireland. We are grassroots, we're non-religious, we're not aligned with any particular political party and we're non-partisan. Um, our name comes from Constance Markovic, of course, who did so much for her uh, country and for her sex. Um, our group was founded online in 2020 and we've expanded greatly since then. We examine issues affecting women and girls, especially around gender ideology and gender self-ID. Um, and in that we have eight main areas, which include single-sex spaces like prisons, uh, lesbian erasure is a big area, schools and safeguarding, and my remit is in sport. So as part of that, we make sort of formal submissions, we've drafted legislation, and we, like, we aim to provide commentary and analysis and put ourselves forward as stakeholders holders in this area. Um, so, yeah, we yes. cover a fair amount there. You, you certainly do indeed. Now, your group is advocating a no uh, vote. We do, you, are. do you go along with what I said there by way of introduction to you? Have you concerns about the fact that all of the main parties are now advocating for a yes uh, vote? Um, does that concern you? Well, it sort of demonstrates the lack of effective opposition, really, in the country at the moment, I feel. And also that... Um, Groups don't seem to be able to independently decide what they would like to do. From our side, we've looked at both amendments um, and are concerned about both of them, the potential impacts of both of them on uh, women and families. Um, and as such, we're advocating for no, no. The, uh, the the poll on the Irish Times was kind of interesting, though, was it not? I mean, most, yeah. most voters are saying that they know hardly anything at all about the proposed uh, changes and um, and there was a very interesting part in it actually, Sorka, that that struck me. It said better informed voters were more likely to vote against the proposed changes. What what did you make of that? Well, we found that very interesting, and um, it actually has quite been been quite difficult to find better informed voters. We were on the streets in various different towns over the, around the country, and a lot of people were quite angry that they hadn't had much information. And then once we began to dig down into the wording of the existing wording and the, the changes, a lot of people changed from don't knows to knows in front of us. Um, and so that sort of reflects what this poll is showing. You know, most people haven't had enough information on this to make an informed choice. But there's an obligation we, on the government in a referendum yeah. to inform people in a balanced fashion. 
There is an obligation on the Electoral Commission, I think it is now, I'll choose to be the Referendum Commission. I believe there are booklets um, coming out. They're certainly available online as of last week, although they haven't been much promoted. Um, and that kind of reflects the speed at which this whole thing has progressed, you know. We went from an announcement to December, in December that it was going to be on the 8th of March. Then the, the debates were rushed through the ball two days in each house in the Doyle and two days in the in the Senate, uh, where in the Shannons where they they really just didn't have enough time. They voted down amendments and pushed it through and there was no what's called pre legislative scrutiny of the wording. So they've come up with the wording quite close to the date of the referendum, which doesn't leave enough time for the Electoral Commission to produce the documents required to inform people um of exactly what the wording is. So we knew that there was something coming, but we didn't know what the wording was going to be until very recently. Um, and the, the, the vote, of course, is in, in less than four weeks' time now. So, you know, we're really pushed for time and getting the information out there. I think it's a very poor reflection on their on their commitment to democracy, if I'm honest. So the second referendum seeing the deletion of the women in the home, woman in the yeah. home, language in the constitution, recognition of care within the home, it's seen, yeah. uh, I mean, we're hearing that this is outdated language on women in the home and a job of work has to be done to address this. What is your problem exactly with the changes that they're proposing? So there's a couple of things. So if I split it into two, one is the deletion of the recognition of uh, the value of what women and particularly mothers do and the protection for those mothers. And two is the insufficiency of the new article. So to go to the first one, we have heard people saying that it's old-fashioned, but at least it's honest. You know, women do the majority of housework. They are the majority of carers in the home. They do double the hours of caring and more than double the hours of housework, according to the CSI. So, you know, it is clear that women give a lot to their families. The, the article says that the state recognises that by her life within the home, but in the Irish version it says, so that's within her family life that she gives to the state, a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. So it's at least a recognition that, you know, we do work quite hard in our families and in our, in our communities, um, and that that's for the benefit of everyone, even if it's not in paid employment. And the second part, we are very concerned about the deletion because it says, the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers are not obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. And again, in the Irish, it's the interpretation will be slightly different because it's Dulgish in a Tyloch, which is more like your responsibilities to your family rather than this kind of drudgery. That's, that image that's conjured up by duties in the home is kind of of drudgery, but responsibilities to your family makes it clear that's, that that's interesting. it's a lot so, more than that. So you're saying the changes are based on a translation from the Irish that mightn't be as accurate as we might believe. Is that is that? A well, I would say... I, I would say whoever did the translation in 1937 might have had a different idea as to the people who wrote the Irish because in the title of the whole of Article 40, 41, it's the family, one tyloch. But then in the body of Article 41.2, on tyloch is changed to the home. So it kind of does give that impression. I can understand why, you know, men and women feel that it's sexist. Um, I personally don't feel that. I just don't think it's ever held me back. I think the changes that have happened in society since that was written have been, you know, have made clear that this constitution article is not what's holding us back. That 
it's actually the inequality that exists within society that has led to, you know, underrepresentation of women. Although we have had some very high-profile women in, in power in this country and still do, thank God. But this uh, this article actually recognises that whether or not you are out and about working or you know, doing whatever, as a woman, your contribution to your family is valuable and that you should have a choice to stay at home to fulfil those responsibilities if that's what's required by your family. And removing that uh, endeavour to ensure removes that obligation on the state to support that choice. And that is very concerning to us. It hasn't yet been tested, but it is about to come to court. A woman is relying on that article. And so the rush to get this through, I feel, is very unfair on that woman who's going to court because if if she wins, then other women could rely on that case law, except that article won't exist anymore. So, you know, we at least need to see the outcome of that case before we vote. You know, can, can, I put, um, can I put some of the, the language uh, that, that's uh, being put out there and uh, just, uh, yeah. you might just... Um, uh, reflect on it and, and maybe comment on it for me. Uh, Article 41.2 never benefited women or society in general. Uh, also being said that a yes vote would be a decisive signal to our nation's daughters that a woman's place is wherever she wants it uh, to be. And also that a yes Unless vote... Unless she wants to stay at home. <laughs> and also that a yes vote will recognise the contribution that unpaid labour makes to the economy and society. Um... What, what, what do you make of that commentary? So, uh, to, to, the, to the first the first point says that it will signal... What, what did you say the first one was? It, it never benefited women or society. Well, it, like I said, it, it was never taken... It was never um, pushed in court. It's never been used in court until now. So a woman is trying to rely on that right now. So none of the feminist organisations ever tried to defend women using this article. However, you... You know, we do have things that stem from this. We've, we saw way back from a lawyer on um, on X that uh, he had successfully defended women using this clause in terms of um, instalment orders for repayments and things like that. So although we can't say that it benefited, we also can't say that it harmed women. So why remove it when it has in it this uh, endeavour to ensure? And I want to get back to that because when we move to the second part, which is, the replacement language, you will see that it is much less stringent upon the state. Um, so, you know, a sign- it is a signal to women and mothers that their place is wherever they want to be, yes. unless they, they want to ch- stay at home with their children, in which case they're ne- that, that is equated with general care of anybody, which it's not. Mothering and caring are two different things. You know, when we're mothers, we're the ones who are pregnant, we're the ones who give birth, we're the ones who nurture our children in the early years, and that's as it should be. So all other things even being equal, which they're not, we would still, by mothers, uh, give a benefit to the state. We're producing the next generation, and by by good mothering in the early years where, where the child is strongly attached to their mother, their mental health as adults is much better. So it is to the benefit of the whole of society that mothers have a choice mm. on where they would like to be during those early years, the, the, at home with their children or out of work. The other line that struck me is that we need to win so that we can keep driving the momentum of positive change. The indication there that I would read from that is that if it's a no vote 
there won't be a momentum for positive change? Well, if it's a no vote, it says to the state, go back and try again. This isn't good enough. If it's a yes vote, it says, okay, fair enough, but they're not obliged to do anything beyond what putting this into the Constitution. So I would... I would feel the exact opposite as whoever made that statement, that a no vote is a signal to the state that they got the wording wrong on this, that if they want to make this change, they need to convince us of its benefit and they need to get the wording better. They need to get correct wording in there. Also, also what's put in there, Sorka, is that, you know, the view that uh, the, the, the Catholic Church's influence on, on the original wording and the like, uh, because you had a government that might be seen as being in, in thrall, I suppose, to Catholicism at uh, the time. What, what about that being put out there? How do you feel about that? Well, I don't feel that the recognition of women and mothers is particularly unique to the Catholic Church. I hope a lot of, uh, you know, non-religious people like myself and people of other religions would realise that this is this article in particular is got nothing to do with religion. It's got to do with recognising women and mothers. You know, and the argument that oh, uh, when, the, when the Constitution was written, the state was enthralled to the Catholic Church, is never used to throw out any other articles that are in there. You know, we have, we have decided as a civil society which bits we would like to retain, and we have removed bits that we don't. But the argument that we didn't like to put it in in the first place, to me, is very... Um, uh, it's just... Oh, sorry, now, it's not... Um, it's not good enough, you know. I don't care who wrote it. I like it. Yeah. I want it to be in there. I want to be recognised for my contribution to society as a mother. And I'm an atheist. Well, of course, I don't, the, of I don't course the, gover- that the government would make the point that should be even more recognised uh, with this change to the Constitution and that, you know, the fact that... Well, that would bring me on to the second point because the second article that they that they are proposing, yes. the replacement article for this, is removing all of that from the section about the family. So there would be no recognition that it's mothers who do the caring, uh, that it's women who do the caring. And the, and the difference between mothers as and parents as well, who are... Do, filling their role as parents and mothers and carers is gone. It's erased. There is no recognition of, of motherhood or as being different to caring. And they are two very different things. Caring for your elderly or disabled relative is very different to caring for your child to, from mothering your child. You know, so I would feel very, that, that conflating those two things essentially erases the fact of me being a mother and relegates me to the role of carer. We know from a survey that most carers do not like to be referred to simply as carers. They want to be referred to by their relationship to the person they're caring for, either as mother or daughter or father or son. So taking out that language and using words like carers, I think, erases that we have a relationship with the person that we're caring for. And it also does erase women and motherhood. This is the same government that tries to erase the words mother from the maternity legislation. They do not recognise that motherhood is important. They see it as transactional and we do not. We see it as Vitally important. Can I, just before I let you go, can I put you, I just had an interesting conversation with a young woman earlier on uh, this morning. We were talking about maybe young people and their attitude to um, Mm. the referendums. And she made an interesting point to me. And again, it's in light of the current wokeness, I suppose, that's that's out there. And she was saying that largely younger people, she figures, 
will vote yes. But young men will go along with that because they feel in the current atmosphere that to be seen to be voting no would be inappropriate at this time. Do you, do you take what I'm saying there, Sorka? I do, I do, and I, I'm not sure, but our, our councillors were out over the weekend and we met people of all ages who were voting no, young men included, young students, young men with families and children, and the great majority of the people we spoke to of all ages were saying they were voting no, that they felt that this was, that either they objected to the new wording or they wanted to retain the existing wording. The new wording is extremely, um, it's just, it just doesn't go far enough. It, it lets down people who care, so the carers, as I mentioned earlier, pushes all the family, all the care back into the family. But it also does not mention disabled people at all in terms of the rights that they should have. So it's gone against the constitutional rec- the 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 um, sorry, you know the oh god, the word's gone out of my head. The citizens' mm. assembly. Mm. Um, what they recommended. They wanted to include supports within the community as well. And the strive to ensure, to strive to support such provision is what the wording is. So as, as I mentioned earlier, the endeavour to ensure is legally enforceable. Strive to support is aspirational. And we, you know, we all know when the government aspires to do something that how how difficult it is for them to actually achieve that. So we would be very concerned about that very weak wording that they have there. You know, and it isn't progressive to try to push care back on families and to erase women and mothers. It is it is regressive. Yeah, We're back to everyone get into the house and don't let anybody know what's going on here. It's it's very poor. All right, Sorka, I must leave it there, but thank you so much for your time this morning and good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's a Sorka Nick Lachman there from uh, the Countess, again, their volunteer organisation promoting the rights of women in Ireland. And over the next few weeks, we will be providing all the viewpoints that are out there where the referendums are concerned. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Last week we spoke to Tipperary mother Margaret uh, about her and her daughter Sinead's struggles after they were both diagnosed with uh, cancer. Now they're stories uh, are being used to, to promote this year's Daffodil Day. Um, it's a story that certainly uh, touched the hearts of uh, many of our listeners out there and other people joined in the conversation and expanded the conversation as well. We were talking then about how people were told about their cancer diagnosis. Uh, Brenda joins me now. Brenda, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm well, Brenda. Lovely to talk to you today. Um, you were diagnosed with cancer, uh, Brenda, at the age of 42, I think, was it? Yes. Um, I had just got a part-time job. My youngest child was six, so he wasn't finished school at three o'clock, so I got a part-time job at the local shop, maybe from 10 or 2. And after a couple of months, I felt really tired. So I said, look, probably just the job and whatever. So anyway, uh, next thing I discovered, um, I was pregnant. 
So I went down to the doctor and he did my bloods as they do and he said your white blood cell is very high and we'll do the bloods again and again and again. So um, within about three weeks he sent me up to Cork CUH and um, they checked my blood count and they said to me, look, the best thing we can do is do a bone marrow. Now I had it in my own head. I could have been facing that. So I had to go out, have a bit of lunch, came back, had the bone marrow. So Christmas week, he rang me up and he said, you have leukaemia. Wow. Uh, CML uh, type leukaemia. And as you can imagine, you know, to hear that news, Christmas week, pregnant already in your fifth child, 42, like, kind of wasn't bad enough. And then you're told you have leukaemia. So um, I I couldn't have treatment while I was pregnant. Mm. I obviously got a wicked shock. It took a while to to sink in. And um, about three weeks later, then my sister was having some problems and uh, she was diagnosed with MS. Oh, God. And then my brother got TB. So there was a whole lot of stuff going on. Um, All the family had to go up to Dublin, up to Peamount, because the the nurse or the doctors for TB were out on strike. We all had to go up in the bus to Dublin all to be tested. And my brother ended up in hospital for about two months one of my sons had the start to TB and I was told I had to be so careful. I didn't realise you could actually get TB anywhere. I just thought it was in the lungs. Yes, you yeah, know, yeah. But you can actually get TB anywhere. I didn't you know can that get either. It in your, yes, you can get it in the womb. You can get my niece, years later, had it in her leg. My God almighty. So they, this, this hit you all at the same time, Brenda? All at the same time, within a few weeks of each other, yeah. And where was your head at at this point? I mean, you're you're pregnant, you're diagnosed with leukaemia, there's yeah. all the other issues around you. So, emotionally, how, how were, were you at that point? Fine, I don't know how I coped. I really don't know how I coped. Because my four other kids were obviously upset too and they were old enough to what was going on. So, um, as I said, I couldn't have treatment while I was pregnant. So then um, I, I wasn't hardly able to walk for the last couple of weeks. I was so breathless. Um, they put me on some kind of interfering injections, but I couldn't take them. I was practically fainting on them. So I had to have a C-section then because they don't know hematology in Clamets. So I had to go to Cork and they had to take him about two weeks early. So he came in at 5-4 and wait. <clears throat> And um, he was tiny, um, but he was healthy. Mm. That was the worst yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't understand at that stage when I have leukemia and my blood is going through my baby's blood, how would they come out normal? Do you know what I mean? I was terrified. But thanks be to God, that's not the way it worked. And, you know, he, we came home. I came home on a Sunday because he had to stay in ICU for another while. And uh, my husband's father dropped dead that Monday night. Oh. So, um, yeah, I had to ask him to keep him in Cork for another few days. So we went up to collect him on a Friday. Um, as I said, he was only 5'4", tiny little thing. And because there was TB in the family, we had to go straight to Clamell to get him his TB injection. But I suppose, like, it was a very, very difficult time. Nobody knows how they're going to cope until it hits your door. And, you know, they and, really and don't. And what happens like, at that point then is that you just have to get up and face this, Brenda, is that? I had to then get up every two hours at night to feed him because he was premature, right? I then had to go to Cork for treatment as well. 
How, so, how soon after? How soon after were you able to begin the treatment? Uh, about a week after he was born. So you were straight, in, straight into it. Yeah. yeah. And the tablets that I was on at the time, there was weaker side effects with them. And, um, you know, some of them then I got allergic to and didn't work anymore. So it was hell. I'd say for about 18 years, I mean, hell on earth. But look, at the good side of it is, he's 21 now in June. I'm in remission. Thanks be to God, eventually I'm in remission. And my point is that Sometimes there can be an okay outcome out of this, like, and it's it's terrible. I mean, I, my mother died of cancer within two weeks; she was gone. You know what I mean? So, like, I know it's. It, I didn't hear the full story of that lady now last week mm. and her daughter. I can't imagine what she has gone through. Whatever about yourself, if your kids are sick, I know. You know, yeah. but my point is, sometimes there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and you just never give up. You just. Well, Brenda, tell Lodge me about eight, eighteen years. What, what did you mean when you said that to me? Is that you, you were dealing with? Because it I was on different medication, and different medication and different side effects. I've had my lungs drained three times. I've had different side effects. Um, I went allergic to medication. My head, I nearly went crazy. It was like having a thousand ants in your head for about two weeks, and I couldn't come off the medication until they took me in Cork. You, know, you have to come off, and then they tried something else, and the side effects of that could have been anything. Could have been a brain hemorrhage, could have been a heart attack. But you, they were the worst side effects. But you had to take a chance and go on them. Yeah, and not everybody reacts to medication. Not everybody will get every every side effect. If you know what I mean. Yes. But when you're told you have to try this, or you you have two years if you're lucky. Well, I was just going to ask you about that. Initially, what prognosis did they give you? They asked me to know, would I uh, go for a bone marrow transplant, right? Yeah. But number one, my age is against me because I was over 40. Mm. They had to test all my... I have two brothers and one sister, and they tested all them. And the only one, my sister, was, was a suitable donor. But she had MS. And it's harder on the person giving the bone marrow to recover right. Right. than the person getting it. So I decided, no, I'm not I'm not doing that to her. You know, I take my chances with the medication. And the medic but it took the eighteen years for you to go into remission. So you were dealing with exactly. it all, all of that length of time. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. 18 years it took to go into remission. Now, I'm in remission at the moment, but that could change at any time, you know. So, um, I suppose the reason I, I decided to go on was to give some people a little bit of hope. Yeah. You know, um, it is hard going, and it was hard going. And I look back and I say, I don't know how I coped, you know. I really don't know how I coped, but you have no choice. You have to get on with it. But what what did it do to your quality of life, Brenda, and with your your children and your family for for those eighteen years? I mean, what, was it all consumed by the illness? Um, it was and it wasn't. I mean, you had other I had other children, and they all had problems at different stages in life. They were starting secondary school. They were, you know, some of them were playing hurling, some of them were playing rugby, and you had to be there for them. And that's just the way it was. You have to be. You have to be there for your kids. And no matter how hard it is, like they have to be number one. 
that's the way I feel about it. You know, I'm mm. number two, but like my family used to say to me, look, Brenda, you have to look after yourself too because if you don't, you won't be there for your kids. Mm. You know what I mean? But as I said, it's not easy when you have four other children and I had a lot of help from my family. They were very, very good. You know, a lot of help from my family and they might mind the kids and get me a break for a night away and that really helped. You know, it was hard going and I won't deny that. Many people but, shared last week their experience of how they were told. Now, I'm not sure what the best way to do that is or how you should <coughs> even go. But you were told on the telephone, I gather, Brenda, was it? Yeah, Christmas week, my yeah. GP right now. Yeah, and, and I mean... You know, I'm not sure what the best way to do that is, but I mean, I suppose all he could do was tell you what the story was. Well, I had it happen in my own head. Did you? You suspected? I did. I did, yeah. When the blood cells were high and there was no other reason for it and why they were going higher and higher, I had it in my own head. But of course you don't, you know, when you get that phone call and you're told this is what it is, like, you're just, you're in shock. Absolute shock, like. You know, mm. you'd hardly know your own name. I hardly knew my own name for a couple of months. Yeah. So, but, as I said, when it's sinking, you have to deal with it. And yeah. you have, you know. Some people said that, okay, you're told, you, you, you're given the diagnosis, but then everything else mm. is a blur after that. So you can't really take in anything else except the diagnosis. Yeah. Well, I remember one stage, <clears throat> one of my sons, he was, um, he was, was he 15 at the time, maybe a bit younger, but. He had surgery for years up in Cullman. He had a thing called telepis. And he was up and down to Cullman since he was seven months. He had to have surgery in both his feet. And I had an appointment in Cork to go get my blood checked. And he had an appointment in Cullman. And it was gone that serious that they said, right, I said, I have to go to Cullman with him now. He has to go for this appointment, right, so I can't go to Cork. So they arranged for my blood to be done in Cullman. Because I was up and down to Cork every month for yeah. that many years. But I must say, the CUH, the team in CUH could not have done enough for me. And I'm my, my consultant is still my consultant. And she's a pure lady, an absolute lady. And they couldn't have been more helpful. They just couldn't have been. And I was very lucky, you know. Does it change you completely, Brenda? I mean, is, is the Brenda, when she was 41, it completely different... Brenda now. Oh, it? God. Yeah. Well, now I suppose I'm, look, I've my family nearly real thanks to God. Jamie's nearly 21. Yeah. The rest of them are done for their, you know, they have their yeah. jobs, they have their lives. I have two of them married. And now I think eventually I can go back being the Brenda that I was yeah. 20 odd years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I feel I have my job done with Jamie now. I'll be 21 in June. And, um, I just feel I've my job done now. It's time for a little time for me again. And um, touch wood, I've the hell to do it. And well deserved too. Won't. Did anger play a part in anything, Brenda, along the way? No, you know? it didn't because, like, as I said, my father and I died that Monday night. I was only home a night and we had to deal with that and the family and the kids. And then my own mother died three months later. Uh, very suddenly, she was only sick for two weeks. So there was a lot of stuff going on. You just had to be there for your kids and there for my family, my husband's family. And it was a crazy time, absolutely crazy time. But, you know, you look back and you say you know how you did it. But at the time you had to cope, you had no option. 
And, that was it. And finally, Brenda, can I just ask you, I mean, there may be people listening this morning who have gotten a diagnosis or a loved one might have gotten a, a diagnosis. Yeah. What What do you say to them, Brenda? What, what's your advice? <laughs> um, I just say take each day as it comes. You know, don't worry about next year. Take each day as it comes. Everybody's different. Like, someone could be diagnosed with liver cancer. They could live for two, three, four years. You know what I mean? And that's my point. You deal with your own diagnosis. You look from day to day. Don't look too far ahead. You deal with things as best you can. And it is difficult. It is very difficult. And it's very devastating. You see, in 1996, I had problems. I had ulcerative colitis, I'd say, for years. But I I was up and down to Carmel. He told me I had precancer cells. And I had to get my bowel removed. Wow. That was back in 1997. My youngest was a year old. I wouldn't let him do it before that. And I had to go to court and get that done. So I was used to kind of getting bad news. But I'll never forget the day I came out. That was a massive operation. You know, and he said, you have to get your bowel removed. Okay. I was absolutely devastated. So suppose maybe, I, because I've been through that, and then told six years later that you had leukemia, I'd kind of been a little bit there before if you know what I mean yeah because like that operation was a massive operation I didn't know how I was going to be afterwards you know and yeah and and the feeling when you were told about the remission Brenda I mean what what was the feeling um, well as I said I, I'm very lucky with my consultant you know I'm very mm-hmm. lucky with my consultant and it's great but she said don't take things for granted because she told me it took 18 years to get mine under control, she's afraid to say it to me to go off the present medication, even though that has other side effects. Mm. Because at the last time I was put on this tablet about five years ago, she said, there's no other tablet out there for you. That's it. If this doesn't work, that's it. You know, and she said... Um, like, you can't go back on the previous medication. I'll never have a bone marrow. I'll never have chemo. It doesn't come into my type of leukemia. Mm. So she said, if this medication doesn't work, that's it. So even though it had, and it still has side effects, you've no choice. If you want to stay going, like, you've just no choice. But in the meantime, it's it's Brenda time now, is it? You're, you're going to... That's how I feel, yeah. yeah. As I said, yeah. look, if my kids are reared and... You know, thanks be to God, they're all fine. They're all getting out their own lives, and I'm very lucky. I have a good family. So now I think, yeah, it's me time. It's Brenda time. I can now maybe go back out with my friends for a night or, you know, meet up with the girls and have a bit of fun and not have to worry of a young child at home. Or, you know, it's just it's just me time now again. Thanks be to God I saw that. Well, Brenda, it's an incredible story and it's been an incredible journey uh, for you and God knows you deserve some, some me time for sure. Thank, thanks for coming on with me today, Brenda. Not at all, Frank. I hope I've been some help oh, to somebody you have. now. I have, no d- I have no doubt. I have no doubt whatsoever. Okay. Brenda, thank you and a very okay, best friend, to you. Bye-bye, thank you. Mind bye-bye. yourself. Bye-bye, okay, Janelle. Bye-bye. That's uh, Brenda's story. Um, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. You know, we were talking about the referendum uh, earlier on at the start of uh, the programme and particularly, I suppose, home in on the care aspect of it. Uh, the uh, proposal there is to recognise the value of care and... Um, remove the text which uh, recognises women's role in the home but people like Brenda and Margaret who we spoke to and several other people indeed last week inspirational, wonderful, wonderful women who have worked in the home and outside of the home when they could and their contribution to their children and their family even though they were going through life-threatening conditions isn't it remarkable? Isn't it really, really remarkable? Um, and we need to hear more of those uh, stories. One listener saying, uh, what a wonderful, brave woman. She did everything for family and she gave care to all of those around her and now she can be herself again. Well done indeed. And that was on to us from Souvenus. Uh, that's the Cancer Support Centre in Nina. And she says, uh, with the wonderful contributions from people, we are able to support uh, centres in a lot of places now and we are here to offer some support as well. Annette, thank you indeed for that. Now, what about checkbooks and what about businesses facing a bit of a problem because of checkbooks? Well, Patrick joins me now. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Will you tell me about this, Patrick? Yeah, AIB have um, not issued any checkbooks for at least two months uh, because the printer has went out of business that they that they had in, in place. Because the printer went out of business? Yeah. My God. So what? what is the result of that then, Patrick, as far well, as you're concerned? There's nothing definite from AIB. They, they can't tell us when they're going to send the book. They can't tell us when they're going to get a new printer. They just left us in the lurch. And, and only for... I was in the bank in Thorless one day and I asked what was the story. Um, by accident, they kind of told me the printer went out of business. But other than that, I don't think they were telling people... That, the, that, that that was the case. Like. And you've relied on checks, have you, for to conduct your business? Oh, God, <clears throat> oh God yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and people, people I deal with, um, they, they give me checks and people I deal with, I give them checks. And, you know, now, they were saying you can change over and go online, but some people that I deal with wouldn't have that facility back. Like. Yeah, because we, we've had um, a statement from AIB and they've now signed contracts with a new print supplier for checks after the previous one went into administration. And we expect checkbooks, they're saying, uh, delivered to customers to uh, recommend, uh, recommence week uh, beginning the 12th of February. What day is that? So that's uh, today. Have you have you had anything in the post today? No, no. no. Right. But again, they're saying that they're advising customers on alternatives um, online channels offering various payment options, uh, debit or credit cards, and the customers can also make payments in branches. But you're saying to me that for a lot of people, that's really no good to them, is it? No, no, it's not. Like if you, if you if you want to make a debit card payment, the person other end has to have a has to have a machine to, to do that, and some people don't don't have that facility. And and the same the other way around. I don't have a machine to to, to take a claim, payment, so like. It's just a nuisance at the moment. I have to go to the bank to make a payment to somebody. And then some people might want to give their details to you to make a payment, you know. Yeah, you'd imagine they knew this was coming down the line to some, some degree, wouldn't you? That they could have... Yeah, you'd, you'd imagine that they'd have, or they'd have some, they'd have another printer on, on standby, like. 
Am I getting a little cynical in my old age, Patrick, and thinking that is this the beginning of the end for the humble checkbook? Well, I hope not. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe it was just uh, they were maybe they were going to push it out a little bit to see could they uh, convert fuels. <laughs> Right, just just to see you see what the story might be. Um, yeah. What what is the story? God knows, I haven't used checks for I don't know twenty five years. I, I I would imagine it, it still a popular method of payment and stuff. I'd say ninety percent of the payments I get is by check. Is it indeed? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like uh, not of the farmers use checks still. Um, you know, yeah. at, at a certain age, a certain age, you know. Mm. Yeah, and you're saying to me that they're not in a position to to change over to some other form of payment. No, uh, older people are probably afraid of uh, of online. They're not, they're not used to it, you know. Yeah. Um. And and what about online banking and all of that? I mean, what's your experience of that with customers? Well, online banking is fine if if you're used to it and and, and you have the have the way of doing it, like but. But again, back to the age thing. If people are not not happy doing that, you know, you're not going to try and force them into doing it. Like. It's it's very easy to make a make a payment to a wrong account if you find the wrong number. Like. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's an interesting. Can I ask you what your business is, Patrick? Uh, construction. Construction. Okay, and dealing a lot with the farming community. I, I would, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you been in touch with AIB about this? Numerous times, numerous times. Right, and what are you hearing back from them? Well, they, they couldn't tell us anything definite. I and mean, the branch, they say, um, well, they're not telling us anything. And when you go on the, when you ring, you get through to a call centre, and they're just told the one line that the books will be coming when, when they're coming. Like, yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, they're telling us anyway. In the post today, you could well have a, have a, a checkbook, even though you probably missed the post at this stage. So maybe tomorrow. Yeah, has gone. Maybe tomorrow. Well, hopefully they'll come now. But I, I, I don't think people knew what was going on. That's why, um, I want you know. I, I don't think that AIB were telling all their customers exactly what was the was the story. There. Yeah. Well, it's certainly until you made contact with us. This was certainly news to me, anyway, for sure. Yeah, that's good. Now, hopefully, people know. And okay. Well, well, well done for for bringing it to people's attention. Can we check in with you and see? What the story is yeah. with, the, with the the checks? Because they're they're saying that beginning today anyway, um, customers should should receive their checks books. Uh, so we'll see see what happens. Patrick, good to talk to you. Thanks, thank you, thank you, and bye bye to you now. Uh, that's Patrick. How do you feel about using checks? Uh, do you use checks? As I say, I haven't used checks for donkeys, even more than 25 years. Uh, come to think of it, you want to tell us about that? 83 And is there a an attempt? from the banks to move you away from using checkbooks and move to online banking and uh, to debit cards and credit cards and all of that uh, kind of thing. How do you feel about that? You might be wondering about the uh, the weather because I have some rather cold nights with frost and ice. Um, seemingly, the story is that we'll enjoy a mainly dry day today with some pleasant sunny spells around the country, but it might be a good idea to make the most of the sunshine, I'm told, because as the week ahead is uh, looking to be rather unsettled with rain and even hail indeed uh, on the horizon in some parts. So it will be cold uh, early on, but uh, turning milder then uh, during the week. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, news and information is coming up. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. You can text and WhatsApp uh, 83 if you want to join in our conversations or indeed if you want to uh, bring up something brand new we'd love to hear from you you can email at any time that's uh, tiptoday at tipfm.com we were talking about uh, checks in uh, the last hour of uh, the programme and uh, Patrick was making the point that uh, it certainly has caused some issues the fact that um, uh, any AIB check customers were without their checkbooks for some time. A listener says uh, checks are easier for small businesses, easy to track uh, payments in uh, versus payments out. Surely AIB were monitoring the company. Uh, not possible for a supplier to go to administration overnight. Clearly no plan B in place. Uh, this should have been communicated on social media and text uh, sent to relevant customers as well. You'd imagine so. You'd imagine so that that would be good uh, customer practice. But anyway, not the case. Um, we're now a week into Ireland's deposit return scheme. That's the new recycling scheme where we're promised a return on anything we bring in for recycling. Well, it's not without its detractors. And there's a lot of criticism that small businesses are being frozen out of the scheme, that machines aren't working properly, and that uh, there were plenty of cheaper alternatives to get people to recycle more. Eddie joins me now. Good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, listeners. You, you're kind of stark about this, Eddie. You're saying it's a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Um, in the past week, I, I've done a little bit of research. I've visited four different uh, establishments, you know, so just to check out these machines are there and just to check them out to see what exactly they know about the machines or what's happening. Yes. So I said yesterday I visited three different premises, right? Mm-hmm. And I asked questions in connection with what's, you know, what's returnable, what's not. So one of the places I went to, uh, they're actually charging for the the, 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 tin, the tins and the bottles that go back have to have a particular logo. It reads the barcode, but it also has to have the logo on it. Right. Nice. For the machine to accept, yeah. If it doesn't have the logo, you can put the tin in, but it'll come back box and it'll come back out again. So I asked in a few places around just to watch the story to find that one premises I went to are actually charging for the, the bottle or tin, whatever the case may be, that doesn't have the logo. They're actually charging your fifteen cents, right? And if you if you finish the premises you're in, if you drink the bottle of stuff and you go back out to the machine that they have on the premises, the machine will not accept the bottle after you're buying it and paying oh, 15. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, it is. It's like, so uh, a few other, another place I, they have bottles, they have some with the logo, they have some without the logo. Uh, they're not, you're, you're not charged for the non-logo one, so that's fine. Uh, 
I'm also told that there's one particular premise that if you buy the bottle with the logo on it, right, you have to return the bottle to that particular, not that special premises, but if there's a premises similar in other towns, you have to go back. Basically, you know, if you, I'm not going to mention any stores, and we've got ones you buy the bottle, you can't go back to another store. And right, it has to be the same store, you're, you're saying to me, Eddie, is that yeah, it? Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with what I'm, I was told there, I don't agree with that. The logo is supposed to be acceptable anywhere. Yeah, that was my understanding of it anyway. Yeah, but that's what, this one particular individual like that was his catch on it, will have to go back to the same premises, albeit not in the same town, but to be refunded. Uh Another issue with it, with it, like it's most unusual. Another issue with it is, and I've brought a bottle into these four different places, mm. and I tried every method to make it take a bottle without the logo, right? Right. So, and, and when you're going to put this particular whatever it is into the machine, it has to be put into the machine bottom first, okay? Right. So what I done to see would I make it accept it, and I put it in so far, and then I gave it a quick tap. Make sure that it'll go right into the back. Yeah. It'll send it back out to me again. Right? <laughs> I'm after buying this bottle. I'm after paying 15 cents. There's no logo on it. The whole idea of this, like, is to get the bottles off the street. To recycle, yeah. Recycle, right. The 15 cents isn't really the issue here because if I go out on the road pick it, which I do, I'll find a half bottle of Coke or whatever. Mm. Try- Half bottle thrown out, so the fifteen cents isn't going to be an issue with these type of papers. And you know, since I mean, there's been these teething problems as uh, Return, the name of the company, by the way, Return, as as they've said. But they've clarified since that some containers which don't contain a logo and will incur a deposit, which can be reclaimed. But but you're saying that's not the case. That even if you pay the fifteen cents for a product that doesn't have the logo you you're saying it won't you won't get reimbursed i'm, I'm not saying you won't get reimbursed what i'm saying is that if i buy it in the shop and it doesn't have the logo the machine will not accept it well well that's so, that's what i mean even though you've paid the 15 cent yeah yeah right right the, the, the next problem i see with it then is if i happen to go to your your, your local town there cash and i buy a, a, a bottle right mm. and i pay 15 cents for it and I'm on my way to Kilkenny and I pull up somewhere in Freshford and I go back in with that bottle and I, I can, there's a logo on it, I bring it back in, I get me 15 cents in Freshford, mm. right? Freshford are down 15 cents. The shop and cashel that I bought it off are up 15 cents. How, how are they going to please that? How is that going to be? It, it all sounds very complicated. But, but you, do, do you not get a voucher? I mean, you don't get cash. Oh, you don't get well. You don't get cash. No, you get a voucher, and you and you, you go back to the counter then, and the voucher can be. You right. you can get cash back for the voucher. Oh, can you? I didn't realize oh, that yeah. either. Oh yeah. oh yeah, you can get cash back for the voucher, or you can use the voucher against the person. Right, but can you use the voucher anywhere then? Uh, you should be able to use the voucher anywhere, but this particular premises I was speaking to told me I'd have to bring the bottle R10 back to the, that particular premises, albeit in some other town, but the same business. The the other thing that struck me about it that I found a little strange, that the, the can or the, it, it can't be damaged in any way, or again, the machine won't accept it. Is that it? Oh, no, 
no, no, the can, the can has to be that has to be perfect. The bottle has to be perfect. Normally, when I recycle bottles, uh, if I have seven up or whatever it is, uh, you know, I always take the paper off. Yes. I take it and, you know, and put it into it for a recycler, but the, the bottle has to open. Now you can try in the bottle and that the machine, when you put the bottle in, the machine actually flattens the bottle or the tin. I've seen the innards of these machines, like, you know, and you know, I, I, I see trial bottles turn in just to see what it does. It just flattens them or flatten a tin or whatever it is, like. But, Some of the things, but if, if that's what the machine does, why would it be a problem? For it to accept a can that's a bit crushed or something. This is just the point. Like, but I, I suppose it, it can't be crushed for the machine to be able to read the logo. If you have it crushed, oh, right. it can't. Okay. It can't yeah. get the, uh, it can't get at the barcode, right? But apart from all that, the idea being get it off the street. Why doesn't the machine, irrespective of whether there's fifteen cents paid for it, why doesn't the machine accept the tin and just take it in and that's it? I come out of the shop, I'm after been to the bottle of orange, the machine won't take it. What am I going to do with the bottle? Come outside the door and chuck it on the ground or whatever. I don't do that, like, but I mean, just to make the I point. Know, I know, yeah. And to, did I take it from something you said to me earlier on? You were involved in, in picking up litter as well, Eddie, oh, yeah. are you? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Ballon Europe community group, like, I'm forever picking up litter. Yeah. Bottles. I mean, I think they should put a few logos on, on children's nappies as well. Like, maybe we might be able to get a few back off of them. Like, that's, a, that's a huge issue, is it? Oh, a major issue. Yeah. But the, the, this machine, are you saying to me that this really won't do anything to 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 stop littering, the, the kind of littering you're seeing on, on, on the roads? It will probably help, but the fact that, that I go along and I can find about half a half-used bottle of Coke or a half-used bottle of orange thrown on the side of the road. I mean, anyone throws a half-bottle of orange, they're not concerned about 15 cents for a tin or a bottle. So it, it won't bother <laughs> them too, too too much. Yeah, this is uh, some sort of European directive as well that, that, that we're responding to in some way. Um, but it strikes me, Eddie, and you're the expert on this, but it, it wasn't thought out properly, was it? Oh, no, very much. No, no way. No way. I mean, this thing is going to take six months. It will be six months down the line. It will be next June or July before this thing will be actually up and running properly. Some of the places, what they have, in fairness to them, not them all, but some of the places have a unit alongside this new... This gadget they put in, like... It's no cheap piece of machinery. Mm. It's 30,000 for the machines, I understand. But some of them have put in a little business but decided that that will take rejected bottles. Oh. You can train your rejected bottle in there. Right, but, but you won't you won't get your refund. No, no. well, if you don't, the, the, the refund is not the issue. Right. The issue is keep the bottle off the street. Right, but uh, and what have you any concerns about the smaller shops then that they they don't have this well, facility? I, I mean, you can imagine the corner shop. Is the corner shop going to install a machine worth thirty thousand? Of course they're not. Of course they're not. No, and like it just it's just a you know logistical impossibility to try and do that. But, but is there I a mean, profit to be made if a shop buys one of these machines? There's no profit to be made, like. Because if you go if you go to the if you if you buy something in the shop and you drink it or whatever it is, and the bottle has the logo, you put the bottle into the machine, you get out your little ticket, and you can go back over to where you 
purchase it at the same counter if you want to, and they give you back your 15 cents. So they're not getting... Who's paying for this machine? I don't... I don't know. And, and the, point, the, point I made, the point I made about it, if I buy a bottle in cash, a shop is going to be 15 cents up on my purchase. If I come back to Killinall or come back to Callan or Orlingford or wherever it is, and I go into a shop in there and I hand in the bottle, I get 15 cents for the bottle. That shop is down 15 cents. Right, but but I uh, just in front of me here, I have a line that says customers must redeem their voucher in the same store as where the plastic bottle and cans are returned through the reverse vending machine. This voucher then can be redeemed in cash or against store purchase at the till. But my reading but, of that is it's at that particular store. The, the, well, the, the other stores that I spoke to, like the, the idea of the logo and the barcode, right? And just think about it. Frank Curry is in Dublin and he's coming back to a Kildare and he buys a bottle of orange. And he hasn't a bottle of orange drank until he got as far as Horse and Jockey. Hmm. Are you going to go back to Kildare again, like? Unlikely, I would, I would imagine, Eddie. <laughs> Well, and what happens to the tin then? Uh, sure, yeah. Throw it out the window. Well, no. In my case, I wouldn't I throw it out the window. But I take, I take your point, Eddie. I take your point. Yeah. I'm only making a point like yeah. that. I would never throw something out the window. That's just not what you do, like. But the thing about it is, just to make the point, you have to stress that particular part of it. You know, so it doesn't make. It's not taught out properly. Yeah, <laughs> like, like so many other things that we do in this country. I mean, stuff is put in place. But about as bad as around about inside cash. <laughs> don't, don't mention but the war, Eddie. Don't mention yeah, the war. Yeah, you won't find any heads rolling in there for that to up. Yeah, yeah. But sure, isn't that always the way? Isn't that always yeah, the way? Yeah, it's obvious from the word go with that particular thing in cash. That's how I drive, like you drive. Yeah. It's just, it's just sheer madness. But wouldn't you wonder that they, why they don't ask questions of people with local knowledge or people with driving knowledge or... Anyway... You know, uh, Eddie. Good to talk to you today, and thanks very much for coming on with us. Thank you. Good morning. I'm glad you told you tonight. Okay. Thank, oh, I'm delighted to hear it, Eddie. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. You know, that's uh, Eddie speaking to us today. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Day 067 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, with crime rates in rural villages uh, steadily uh, rising for the past few years, many have been left uh, very unsettled and cautious in their home areas. One North Tipperary student was in touch to share his story, and he joins me now. Josh, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and thanks very much indeed for, for coming on with us today. Will you tell me about your experience? I will. Uh, so it was any regular day last week. It was Thursday. Uh, I had mocks. I went in, sat my pee, leave and start mock, and you know, it was grand. And, you know, I just kind of get on, get over it, and you think, right, the mocks are over now, and I want to go home, relax, and just all that good is going to come to me now for putting up with all the pain that comes with the mocks. Yes. But mm. anyway, sure, walk down and sure, 
I'm walking down one of the fifth years, having a bit of crack. He goes and gets on his bus, and all the kids filter out of the shop. And my mother is working over in Rascray. She's a social worker, and she says, OK, I'm going to get delayed. I have a meeting now. Uh, and I'm just there, sitting, chatting away to Pat Mayer, because it's Pat Mayer's shop in Bursley, there on the square. And after about five minutes, I notice a man walking over and back on the other side of the road. And he's all dressed up, and he's wearing Nike track trousers. He's wearing one of them washable face masks. And I'm like, I'm, so I'm about to say to Pat, geez, are you involved with, like, the mafia or something? Like, there's a lad there walking over and back. But as I look back to him, he's at the door. And next thing, I think, oh, the young lad or something. And they're walking towards me. Oh, I, like, start to shuffle a bit to the side because I'm, like, going to grab something, uh... Uh, on the shelf behind me and he puts one hand on my phone and one hand to my neck and he's got a Stanley knife in his hand to my neck and he says give me the phone Good God. and I was terrified in the moment I really didn't know what was going on so I just kind of blurred out a bit of what 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 and uh, I looked into his eyes like and he his eyes were milky white and he was completely off the head on drugs and it was terrifying like he like, I didn't know who this lad was. I didn't know it was a joke or something or, like, you know, just some sort of kind of messed up thing. And I look over at Pat, and Pat thinks he's another young lad just messing with me there, and he's half kind of smiling. He mm. just sees this look of terror in my eye. And then he stops smiling. And then your man, seeing that I'm looking at Pat, that distracts him. And I kind of take that opportunity to pull my phone and run down to the bottom of the shop. I can't properly remember it because... I was absolutely terrified, like, I was shook for my life, and, yeah, I went down and hit kind of behind the shelf, and despite threatening me with the knife, the 18-year-old lad, uh, and being the broke student that I, most six years are, he goes over and begs the man in his late 70s with money in a till behind the counter for 50 euro, like, he says, I'm broke, something along those lines, and Patch tells him to get lost, says he's ringing the guardian, and shows him the crowbar, and... He, kind of, he runs away, and I didn't leave the shop after that. But, yeah, it was terrifying. My God, and a Stanley knife, and he put it to your throat, Josh. He put it to my throat, yeah, a green and silver one, like the ones you get out of your local co-op. Know, yeah. A deadly piece of uh, work, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, fit for cutting fine, like, but, you know, it just shows, like, you can pick one of them up for five or less like and anyone can buy one of them and they're easily concealed and they're deadly they're deadly so so tell me i mean this is trauma at at its worst i mean how how are you feeling after this uh well you know every student would obviously have some bit of mental health difficulties after covid and all that but like i've had panic attacks and i've been petrified like you know i've had like strict reactions and stuff like that just broken down finding a hard breed at times and yeah it's, it's not easy I won't lie it's not easy at all Was this the first time that anything like this has happened to you Josh? It was it was and I must say my mother was excellent she's as I said she's a social worker so yeah. she's very informed on trauma and she was very good to help me in terms of it my God, and, and I would imagine you needed uh, help where that was uh, concerned as well. Um, are you hearing about similar stories among lads and young girls your own age, Josh? Are you hearing about 
other other instances of of this? Yeah, well, you see, you'd hear about it a lot, especially at like the teen discos and stuff like that. You'd hear terrible, terrible stories. But I suppose what was shocking about this one was it was when I was on my own in a little community shop. You know, it, there wasn't a lot of young people around. There wasn't a crowd to slip away into. It was a deadly sl- silent square in a rural town. And, yeah, as you say, a rural area that you wouldn't imagine that something like this would 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 happen. Um, don't don't give me names or don't don't even speculate for me. But do you think this this guy was a local guy or? Well, we know where he was from, and we know that he is now in Limerick Prison, and we know that he's set to appear in court in two to three months. Right. So, so he, he was he arrested on the basis of what happened, or was this another? Incidents. He was arrested on the base of what happened, and they found him with the description. Like he was very hard to miss him. Like you know, right. but uh, okay. Now because because to... it's before the courts, we have to be very careful, Josh. So I won't ask you any more uh, on yeah. that. But uh, uh, and I mean, you you're having sleepless nights over this. You're yeah, yeah. I suppose last night I kind of was the first night, kind of half slept well. Since then, like, I slept okay the night before. I was pure exhaustion from not sleeping the night before that. And, you know, it's like... Yes. It's not a good thing for any person to go through, never mind someone doing their leaving search, I suppose, with enough stress in their back. Of course, of course there is, for, for sure. And, you know, where this is concerned, are you concerned about that this is going to be in your head now for the future and, you know, it might make it difficult to be out and about? Or how how do you feel? Well, I'd say I used to go in and sit across from the counter by the door of the shop and I won't ever think I'd ever do that in a shop again because I'd nearly be hiding away in a place where I wouldn't be seen because I don't want to meet anyone inside that shop. I never wanted to meet anyone. I would have just been waiting for my mother or buying something and just got, mammy got caught in traffic, you know. The yeah, general yeah. kind of stuff where someone would hang around, especially it's a local shop, like. And now I'd be going into a corner, if I was going there again, I'd be going into a corner and sitting there quietly, like, and nearly hiding away, like, you know, trying to blend in. Yeah, many, many years ago, like I'm thinking about 30 years ago or more, maybe maybe more than 30 years ago, I was involved in a situation in America where a weapon was was drawn and stuff. And this is no help to you, me saying this to you, Josh, yeah. but that is still with me to this day. You know, the, yeah. the, now yeah. I, I yeah. wasn't yeah. put in the kind of danger that you were in, but I was there at the time when it was drawn. And it's still, it's still, you know, it's as if it happened to me yesterday. So these... These events, they they can stay with you forever, you know? They can, they can. And you know what I feel is very important is the fact that he more or less took away my right to feel safe in such a communal kind of location, you know? And that is really important. Like, the whole society collapses if there's no feeling of safety and such. Like, so it's really important that is there and when that's tested in such a place it can be really hard in the community as well I'd imagine God, That's a very interesting point he didn't get your phone, he didn't get money off you but he took away your sense of freedom Yeah, yeah, yeah Like I I would be very wary about anyone who's masked up walking around me in future now as most people should be but you'd think 
why should I have to, you know? It's very, very interesting. Josh, thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm so sorry to hear about the trauma uh, of Thanks, it all. Man. And we, we wish you well for the future, Josh. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, thank man. you. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp uh, 83 Back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. A lot of people on to us there to commiserate with uh, Josh on what was a very, very... Uh, difficult situation that he found himself in and uh, hopefully he'll be able to cope with that in uh, the weeks and months to come but he was talking about his mum there being a tremendous help to him because of her background I suppose in uh, social care and the like. Uh, Time now to speak about uh, global news and as usual on a Monday I'm joined by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you Thomas. Good morning Fran. Uh, Good to talk to you today. Can we start off with the situation in in Gaza Thomas because the aid agencies and uh, the international leaders uh, they're warning of the catastrophe, uh, the consequences there if he, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu pushes ahead with what he's doing in Rafa, for example, because is it a million people is in? It's a million people all condensed into this small, relatively small city inside the Gaza Strip. We know the Gaza Strip is small anyway, a population of around up to three million prior to the war. Uh, and about a million of these now are caved in in Rafa, and and this is in southern Gaza. This is in it? southern yeah. Gaza, near the Egyptian border. Yes. People might be asking, will the Egyptians not take in some of these uh, uh, some of these refugees, effectively, who have been displaced to their homes? They have rejected that. The Egyptians do not want the conflict to spill over onto their soil. They're they're adamant that they're not allowing. They'll allow aid in but they're not allowing people out, which is a problem, I think, in itself, because it is an incredibly volatile situation, mm. dangerous situation now. So there's nowhere for these people to go? There's no... There? Well, Netanyahu has speculated that they can move north to northern territories in Gaza, which in which the fighting has, I suppose, died down. But, I mean, it's not there's a... There's nothing there. I mean... Effectively, has everything has been destroyed. Services, water, access to clean water, access to food. Shocking reports over the weekend of... Uh, children having to use animal feed to eat animal feed, all these kind of atrocious stories coming out of Rafa. And now Netanyahu wants wants to attack Rafa, essentially, uh, launch a ground invasion because Hamas is apparently deeply rooted in there. That may or may not be true. Uh, we can only assume that it probably is, but it is an incredibly precarious situation for the people in... There was that phone call with uh, Biden last night. Um, what, 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 was the res- what was the content of that, by the way? Well, I think Biden's patience is running thin. I was watching it on Sky News last night and by all accounts, I mean, he was urging, urging Netanyahu to take, take a course of action that it did not endanger the lives of civilians. Uh, and, of course, that is exactly... We're up to... In excess of 28,000 people, 28,000 Gazans which have been killed at this stage as a result of the war, that will continue. If this planned invasion of Rafa goes ahead, that will continue to t- tally upwards. Mm. Uh, the fact that they found two hostages 
in Rafa. Does that in some way in his mind justify what's what's happening? I here? suppose it's a slight relief. Yeah, reports coming this morning that two two hostages have been found uh, in a in a Israeli Defence Forces mm. mission there. And obviously, look, that's great news from the perspective of the hostages' families. But looking at the broader situation, if uh, Israel goes ahead with this ground invasion uh, and and sends troops into Rafa, it will spell disaster for the citizens there, for the people hiding, or for the people effectively hiding out there. They're they're exposed, uh, they're vulnerable. There is nowhere for them to go. They move north and they're moving back into a region where, as we just alluded to, there is nothing really, no services as such. Uh, They can't move anywhere else. Gaza is so small. And what about that opportunity last week? Some of us thought, so maybe there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, um, in terms of a ceasefire. Um, Yeah. How did that uh, get rubbish? Hamas actually outlined quite a comprehensive plan and I read through it and... It was surprisingly comprehensive. It was a three-part plan that entailed uh, the release of hostages, first women and children, uh, then subsequently male hostages, uh, and then an end to the fighting. It seemed reasonable, and I don't want to sound like I'm defending Mm. Hamas here, I'm not, but it seemed relatively reasonable, but Netanyahu rejected it outright. Uh, There was a complete denial on his part. He seems, and the Israelis seem completely focused on the elimination of Hamas. That is their sole and only objective at this moment in time. They've said they're trying to protect civilians. They've said they're trying to protect civilian lives. The statistics do not weigh up in their favour. I mean, when you look at over 28,000 dead, slaughtered. And so many children. And and so many many children among them. It's a tragic, tragic situation. It's a really precarious one. And it's, you know, we evidenced by the fact that Anthony Blinken visited last week for five days, that even he couldn't make a breakthrough, that even Biden last night couldn't persuade Netanyahu to change course. So, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a, and has Netanyahu still got support? He seems in, in, to have, and yeah. I mean, there is widespread scepticism of him. Uh, there is widespread rumours that after the war is over, Netanyahu is gone. That is yes. his political career finished, and there seems to be an acceptance there. But there also seems to be an acceptance that he's in situ now, he's in power now, uh, and that he will lead the country through the rest of the war. Uh, there are there are other figures there within the mix, the likes of Benny Gantz, a military uh, military officer. Uh, there are a couple of others there from opposition parties who would be capable of, I think, leading a government. But it seems for now that Netanyahu's position is cemented in, that he will remain leader until such a time as the war concludes. Right, but in the meantime, people are dying, and some people would say dying uh, very much unnecessarily as well. Um, can we move to uh, Pakistan there? And uh, what's been happening where elections are concerned as well, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, this is another very volatile situation. Mm. Just to give people the lowdown, elections, general elections held in Pakistan late last week, uh, a number of parties in the running, two candidates in particular. People will be familiar with Imran Khan, who is the former former cricketer turned playboy model turned prime minister of Pakistan from 2018 until 2022 until he was locked up in jail on corruption charges. Now, he's currently still in prison. 
uh, and his party was banned from running in this election. What they did is they ran as a group of independent candidates, so they're not officially registered under the Pakistani party. It's very interesting, actually, Fran. I came across a piece. Uh, because of the high rate of illiteracy in Pakistan, because of the fact that many people can't read... Khan's party relied on its cricket bat symbol. Now that symbol was then banned from the election so he wasn't allowed to use it and so that threw people, threw the whole vote into disarray. People didn't know because they were effectively illiterate and weren't able to read party candidates' names or party names uh, they were dumbfounded. Wow. They didn't know what. And uh, do you think that was, uh, did that play an effect? It's being seen as a significant factor. Wow. Certainly the BBC, everybody's reporting it as a significant factor. And I thought, I just thought it a very interesting uh, piece of trivia almost, but that is relevant to this election. And it kind of outlines the the state that Pakistan is in. Look, it's a growing country, a population of 241 million people, a significant geopolitical player. It's a nuclear power. It recently had an, ex- an exchange of missiles with Iran there. Uh, so yes. it's kind of tentatively embroiled no, in the crisis in the no, Middle East. No friend of America. Uh, no, fr- Certainly yeah. no friend of America. Uh, and Khan himself in his tenure as Prime Minister uh, was adamant that that remained the case. Yes. Uh, but there is still huge poverty and across the country. And are there the tensions uh, with, with India as well? Are there? there are tensions there. I suppose they share a border with yeah. India. Obviously, Pakistan created uh, after the partition of yes. India back in, I think, 1952. So there are tensions there. There are tensions along the border. India is probably, and we can speak about it in a further programme, but a much more stable democracy. Hmm. Uh, despite the fact that Narendra Modi is in power there, uh, he's seen as a Hindu nationalist leader, uh, it's very different from Pakistan in the sense that it does have a functioning democracy. Pakistan, not really. These are being described as the least credible elections of recent times. It's really effectively a runoff between two former prime ministers. So you had Imran Khan, who was in jail and obviously whose party ran as independence, and another former prime minister, Nawaz Sharif, whose party has done relatively well and looks set to form a coalition but, with a third there's, party. there's irony here because Sharif's background as well is not unblemished, is it? No, and he's been in prison too. You know, it's yeah. a, it's almost a role reversal, so to speak. Up to a few years ago, he was imprisoned. He then came out and I suppose revived his political career just about uh, to lead his party uh, into these elections. And they have done reasonably well. Each party has fallen short of a majority, so very hard to 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 complete a full majority in these kind of elections. The the party vote is fractured. Citizens are are voting one way and the other. Uh, a coalition is the only hope of a viable government. Uh, existing and it looks like Nawaz Sharif is on course to form a, co- a coalition with a third party with a man called uh, Benjamin Bhutto who was the former who was the son of a former prime minister assassinated in the 1990s so it's a very it's a very complex political map in Pakistan at the moment the situation is very volatile there I mean I've been reading mm. into it in the past couple of days a lot of disputes around polling centres around the legitimacy of the vote whether whether mm. the ballots cast do, do I gather that the military are kind of lurking in the background the military play a significant role in Pakistani politics in general and they supported Khan up until a few years ago that was one of the reasons he was in power from 2018 to 2022 that the 
military uh, had expressed support in Imran Khan and were willing to, to lend him their support, they now seem to be gravitating slowly towards Nawaz Sharif. Uh, he seems to be their preferred candidate. So the military significant players in, G- mm. in Pakistan's uh, political landscape. They really yes. dictate the agenda to a certain extent. And what about the economy, for example? The economy is it, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting one, Pakistan, because it has plentiful exports. It has a good export economy. But in general, I mean, the rate of poverty in the country, as demonstrated by the illiteracy rate, the number of people who simply cannot read the education system there, it's said to have a terrible education system uh, and has other problems like that. So it is far from, things are far from rosy from an, econ- an economic perspective. There is a lot of trouble, a lot of turbulence there uh, that will need to be managed carefully in the years to come. And that's why it's so important. As I mentioned there, population of 241 million people, this is a huge country. Uh, and they're significant geopolitical players. They're a nuclear power, after all. Pakistan does have nuclear weapons and, you know, has reminded the world uh, of that at various times in its past. So it matters who is in charge of this country. It matters who is prime minister here. And it will be very interesting to see whether these coalition talks lead to the reappointment of Nawaz Sharif or whether, and there is a slight possibility that Khan might be released from prison if the courts were to overturn his rulings. Now, it's very slight. It looks like, I think myself, he, he is in prison for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. But there is, he will be hoping, a slight chance that he can resurrect his party and get back into power. You have a very interesting piece for us today about Italy's Prime Minister showing that populists need not be as scary as their uh, opponents claim. Will you fatten that out a bit for me? Yeah, she has, uh, when I say she, her name is Giorgia Maloney, yeah. the Prime Minister of Italy since October 2022. Uh, one kind of in a in a landslide atop the Brothers of Italy party, which she, she leads. And they're a far-right grouping. They effectively have their roots in Benito Mussolini's fascist movement of the World War period. That is... Uh, that was the inception of their party and they've grown and evolved since then. Maloney is said to be a long-time admirer of Mussolini. Now, she has kind of backtracked on that in recent in recent years and denied those claims. But it cannot be disputed. The Brothers of Italy are have their roots. They're a kind of a neo-fascist a party yeah. who came into power last year and... I think scared much of Europe, petrified much of Europe because immediately you had senior European Union officials worrying, could this signal Ital exit, an exit of Italy from the European Union? Will they pull out of the euro? What will their stance on migration be? Uh, and a number of other right-wing, uh, right-wing so proposals. So what have we seen so far? Then? We've seen a much more moderate, much calmer and kind of... Uh, affable, generous uh, Mm. character in Georgia Maloney. She has kind of promised to work with the European Union, steadfast in her support for Ukraine. So determined to support Ukraine, has pledged plenty of military and financial assistance to help Ukraine in its war with Russia. That's despite Italy having significant ties with Russia in the past, significant economic ties. Uh, she has been... Yeah, and there was speculation that she might team up with uh, Viktor Orban as well of, of uh, Hungary, um, but that, that didn't No, bad, hasn't happened it. either, surprisingly. And Orban now finds himself slightly sidelined from a European perspective. You know, he was forced to cave in on that deal recently on aid to Ukraine. Yeah. 
the Polish government, the former, the now former Polish government, the Law and Justice Party, which would have been his main allies in Europe, another right-wing party, have now been ousted from power. And Donald Tusk, the former European Council president, is in power in Poland. George Maloney, for her part in Italy, hasn't pledged support for Orbán. She's been far more willing to work with other European Union, Union leaders with the likes of Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz. Uh, she has been, I think determined to work with them and determined to get the economy up and running. Now, she still has her notions. She still has fanciful ideas. She's still quite right-wing, but she hasn't pushed through controversial reforms on things such as abortion and things like that. So real Because that, that was the suspicion, wasn't that it? Was that, that was the suspicion. Be, yeah. That was what many people thought. They thought Italy's constitution may be in danger here. So why such a watered-down approach then at this point? Is it to, to make the party more acceptable? Make her I wonder acceptable? myself. I think it's the realities of governing. I think this is a trend that we witness across Europe in various different countries. There's a phenomenon happening in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats, another far-right party. They're not in government, but they're lending support to the government, yes. uh, to a relatively moderate government. We see in the Netherlands, Hurt Wilders is trying to to negotiate a coalition, he has become far more moderate since yes. since the Dutch elections and, and back in November. Pen, uh, and Marine well, Le Pen, even so. in in France, has yes. taken a far softer stance than many would have seen possible. So I think there is a reality setting in amongst far right leaders that in order to viably govern, in order to practically govern your country, you're going to need to take a step back and moderate your views and policies. It's all very well to shout from the opposition benches, but it is a different kettle. Of fish when you were in government, when you were the ones in power. Uh, and it is it is a much more difficult task to try and manage the ship of government. And George Maloney, by all accounts, mm. has done well. The Italian economy isn't perfect, but it's doing, it's relatively stable. You know, the currency, uh, the euro currency is relatively stable as well. Uh, she's she's developed a, a reputation for being kind of a, a steady hand in Europe. Other European leaders uh, consult and kind of look up to her to a certain extent. And she's only had a very short tenure in power. So, you know, it's a good news story, I think, is a good news because we're all petrified of the rise of the far right. We see them, you know, we see the, the ramifications with Trump in the United States, even in Germany, a, a rising far right party there, the alternative for Deutschland. But there is evidence now to suggest that they are far more moderate when they get into power. And that can only be a good thing as, as far as I'm concerned. Very good indeed. Can we just look forward to, to the weeks ahead? We have to make reference to the Tucker Carlson uh, Putin interview because that was the big news, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I watched I watched bits of it and yeah. it was it was a free for all for Putin. I mean he, he just he was allowed to let loose. Uh Carlson let him loose uh and essentially said whatever he wants. It kind of degraded journalism to a certain Do extent, you think so? I think. I think now there is another argument that says, look, he's a journalist, he's an independent journalist now, he can do whatever he wants and mm. uh he can interview whatever he wants and at least he is talking to Vladimir Putin. At least the, he got the man talking, uh, which is something other outlets... And what, like. what do you see the danger as? I mean, Putin in the interview, and again, I saw clips of it myself, he comes across... Um you know, very well. Yeah, he comes across across as reasonable and yeah. I think that is the ploy that he is trying to, to play. He does come across and we forget sometimes that as 
as crazy and as maniacal as Vladimir Putin has been in the last two years, he is a deeply clever man. I mean, he's a clever political strategist. He's an intellectual man. He wouldn't have been president for Russia for the past, what, 20 yes. years if he didn't have that deep intellect. So he is well able to defend himself. Uh, but, and, but does it not put to bed this notion that he was mentally ill, that he had physical uh, difficulties, that his health was it? I mean, he looked very healthy to me. Yeah, I guess that was one of the things we did learn, that he is, his health is solid and that he is solid, his mental capacity is solid, that he's well able uh, to stand up and fight his argument and make his point. Now, obviously, the ramifications for the war in Ukraine are that conflict is likely to drag on and there there just seems to be, yes. he, he didn't intimate that there was any end in sight, that there was any move towards a negotiating table. Now, Carlton, Carlson didn't really push him on yes. it as much as you might have liked. Did, did it not emerge that there was that opportunity for peace with Zelensky and Boris Johnson scuppered that in some way. Did that not emerge from the There were there were stories of that or there were there were whispers that that was the case and and that was evident in the interview when that actual part of the interview. But I think in general, you know, overall Putin uh didn't really show his hand. I think, you know, mm. when you look at his actions and compare them to his words, I mean, he's still launching a devastating invasion of Ukraine. Or he's in the midst of a devastating invasion. He mm. has showed no sign of pulling back. There is talk now of a spring offensive on the part of the Russians. Last year, we had the Ukrainian offensive didn't really work out. This year, mm. the danger is that Russia will go on the attack. But surely the big difference this year is now there is dissent in Ukraine towards Zelensky. Yeah, and the sentiment, sentiment towards him. And let's remember, Zelensky has just sacked his his main his general, general yeah. Valery Zeluzny, who is seen as a, a competitor for that top job, for that top job of president. There are even questions, could Ukraine hold elections uh, this year or in the near future? Very hard to yes. see how they could do that. But, I mean, the fact that it's and, being and considered... And just before we move off, again, the Putin interview... In terms of the, the situation in America where already a large number of Republicans, you know, they have their doubts about supplying money uh, to, to Ukraine, will, will that interview not play in to their, their concerns? It very much will. And it yeah. obviously has is, is become a hugely contentious issue in the American Congress on Capitol Hill. The Republicans have effectively tied funding to Ukraine to this controversial border bill. Uh, so in order to enact certain measures around the US southern border, uh, it's linked to, to money for Ukraine, which, you know, they seem, I mean, two concepts completely or two things are completely far apart, else, yeah. but they've managed to link them together. And this will, to a certain extent, play into Republicans' hands. But the Republicans, I don't think, are doing themselves any favours. Now, in the opinion polls, it would suggest for American voters, with Donald Trump flying high and with Biden and all that's happened Biden in the last week with his memory issues, his poll ratings are, you know, yes. are hitting negative again, yet again. It would be very interesting to see how the situation evolves. Yeah, and but of course, Trump's remarks on, on, on NATO now dominating. Yeah, and the now the funny point. thing last night was, I think, and I'll, I'll be shot for saying this, I think he kind of had a point when he said that nations must meet their payment obligations in respect of NATO. I think, look, uh, encouraging Russia to attack them was ridiculous, was completely uh, out of order, bang out of order. But there is a point there that nations haven't committed enough spending to mm. NATO and that America has been left with uh, an excessive financial yes. burden. So he does have a slight point 
in that regard. Yes, but of course he he has had issues with with NATO. Yeah, all, of course, all, all, of course, all along. Um, just before we go, Northern Ireland, of course, uh, new leaders. Um, as well there. Uh, do you know what struck me though is just from a, a diplomatic point of view um, finally they got the, the DUP decided to jump on board and, and uh, storm it up and running and then immediately Mary Lou makes a point about a united Ireland. Yeah. And I, I just thought that that was a little... I thought it was premature. I mean I took and Michelle O'Neill made a similar point. I mean, most of us would, would aspire to that but I'm just saying just th- they barely got the thing back up and running again. I know. Don't and, uh, don't unsteady the ship just as things just, just, have, have yeah. come back into line. Like I think it was slightly reckless on the part of Mary Lou on the part yeah. of Sinn Féin and look don't get me wrong I like Michelle O'Neill. I I think she is, you know, she's a smart lady, she's energetic and she's definitely willing to work with with Emma Little Pengelly. They're both two women. It's nice to see two women in a role as well. That is... Uh, that is indicative of the but, social but, but change. Some people concerned that maybe Mary Lou has has too much of a role. Uh, I think so. I think concerned. so. But it'll be very All interesting right. to see how that evolves All in right. the weeks. Great to see you as always, Thomas. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh. 672411 or slatterysgarage.ie At Puck On, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Puck On on 0672411 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Some reaction to our global politics piece with uh, Thomas. Uh, Brian was on to say uh, that Imran Khan is the people's choice in Pakistan. He is popular with the people and a charismatic man. The problem is that he's not an American puppet, hence the attempt to smear his character. I believe if he is released from prison and takes power, he will be assassinated. The United States is trying to exert influence on the BRICS bloc by installing proxy governments like Modi in India. Uh, the policy is comply or die, and that's according to uh, Brian. Brian also has some thoughts on uh, Israel and uh, Palestine. He says Netanyahu won't stop, and Biden is only worrying about his own re-election, hence his hollow words about using restraint. Uh, Biden just rammed through an additional $12 billion in arms aid for Israel, so much for stopping the genocide, says uh, Brian to us. Um, somebody else on uh, the situation in Gaza, um, Marguerite, in fact, saying that it's pitiful to see an elderly lady in Rafa with a very disabled stun un- uh, son under a plastic tent. My heart goes out to the poor uh, people involved there. Um, Patrick was on to say, excellent peace with Josh, and so sad that we live in a world of fear. 0833113311. Well, it's right across the newspapers today. Nina, a woman in her 70s, completed a skydive with her son uh, yesterday. Grandmother, Mary MacDonald, and her son Mike made the 10,000 foot leap to help raise money for organisations based in Gaza. And both Mary and Mike are founding members of Nina's Friends of a Palestine group and uh, she wants to do all she can indeed to help the cause but she joins me now Mary good morning to you good morning friend and lovely to talk to you Mary and lovely to know that you're all safe and well you spoke to me ahead of the jump Mary now that you've oh, done I... it how are you feeling 
Well, I, I'm not boasting when I say I'm proud of myself for having done it, but I will never, ever do anything like that again, Fran. I'm done. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> well, we're very <laughs> proud of you too, but tell me about it. Were you terrified? Yeah, look, Fran, I mean, the safety is perfect up there. I mean, nothing nothing about the jump was I scared of. It was just my reaction to it. I suppose it was maybe very tense going up and uh, the free fall. And can I correct you on one thing, Fred? Sure, sure. Uh, I would have preferred if it was 10,000, but they went up to 13,000. So 13,000, my God. <laughs> to make it yeah, even worse. Anyway. And, and you have a fear of heights, for God's sake, Mary. Well, do you know what, Fred? In the plane itself, I was grand. I mean, I've flown loads of times. And I do love to look out. And I mean, mm. that didn't bother me at all. But once the door opened <laughs> and we had to shunt our way forward, yes. look, it, it was nerve-wracking, I'd have to say. I, I tried to do um, the, the man that I, Lucas, I think, I hope I have the right name. He yeah. was fantastic. I really felt so safe with him. Uh, but kind of once we got out and my son just went to Mike went just ahead of me mm. and it's all very fast you really don't have time to think Brent. Yeah. next thing we're out on the edge and uh, away we go and, and tell me about my, that, that yeah. first couple of seconds after jumping yeah. Mary what, what was that like? It was terrible, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say it was exhilarating and wonderful, well, Mary. Well, I, I, I get to that, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yes. oh, friend, I closed my eyes. Now, I wear glasses, so they had um, goggles on. Right. But that was fine. They told me they could, my glasses could be sent anywhere over to below. Yeah. But anyway, friend, it was, yeah, no, it wasn't nice. It was, I shut my eyes. They told me I'd have free fall for about, I think they said about uh, a minute. Maybe it was a minute, Mike. Well, I thought I'd start counting yeah. with my eyes shut. I mean, friend, I won't, I won't winter. Right. Let's just say I wasn't, I wasn't happy. Right. Then, they, then they pull a small chute, yeah. and that slows you down, and then they open the big chute. And then once the big chute opened, I was even able to talk to my lovely Lucas. Because right. prior to that, there's no conversation. <laughs> of course, but the whole thing slows down then once the shoot is open. The whole is that thing it? slows down and you're, you're kind of floating down there. Mm. I mean, it was lovely. Mm. No, <laughs> but, um, you know, when we eventually got down, friend, there was at least 50 of family and friends were there to cheer us on. Ah, brilliant. And, yeah, which was great. And... Um, Lucas got me safely down to the ground and uh, I have to say I had a little bit of an episode when we came down. Yeah, tell, uh, tell me oh. about that because people were concerned about you, weren't they? <laughs> well, the family were outside. Uh, I have a, a few nurses in the family. They rushed in to where they were supposed to come. But no, no, friend, it was just a little a little bit of a maybe... Um, a, a, I felt a little bit nauseous yeah. and uh, well, thought I was going to pass out. Well, you were spinning. <laughs> were, were you spinning in the latter part of the... Of yeah. the was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I better not go into that too much. I didn't <laughs> like the spinning. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's here in front of me? I, I hope you've seen it so far. In the front of the Irish Times today, Mary, have you seen it? Well, I saw it online, but yeah. I've yet to go into town and buy the, buy the paper. Oh, but you, yeah, need, you need to buy it because it's just fantastic photographs. And it has you smiling as well, Mary. So you're... you're... Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, you know the way to say when you land, you will, you know, there'll be an adrenaline rush. Yes. Well, I'm afraid, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> <for me. laughs> no, there was no adrenaline. But mind you, when I went to bed last night, 
Then the adrenaline, I hardly slept on it. The adrenaline was wow. blown then. <laughs> but anyway, it was all good. I'm so delighted I did it. And I didn't, uh, cop, uh, you know, not to, not to refuse to do it. You know, for, you know, what's happening. Ah, sure, of course, yes. And it's it's ungentlemanly to speak about a lady's age, but do you mind my saying 75 years years of age, Mary? I don't mind. I don't mind you saying it's all. I'm, I'm pushing on 76. But I'm sure there's loads of 76-year-olds that did it. And maybe they came down cheering. I'm afraid I didn't. I, I, I'm not <laughs> sure if many people would jump out of a perfectly good airplane at 75 or 76, Mary, but your look, you know, is, isn't it fantastic, yeah. though? And uh, tell uh, me about the money raised, Mary? Oh, sure, friend. I mean, it is now... Hold on, Mike. Is it, what's it now, Mike? Just shy of 30,000. Wow. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. And look, Mike is here beside me now, and he, he might have a, a nicer story to tell you than my one. <laughs> he wasn't quite as, uh, as scared as well, me. Well, we, we think you have a fantastic story to tell, Mary, and fair play to you. Can I have a word with Mike, do you think, Mary? Of Will course that, you that can. Be okay? He's beside me, and Thank he'll fill you in. On. And congratulations to you, Mary, and well done. Well done. Hello, Mike. Good morning, friend. Good morning to you, and congratulations to you as well, Mike. You, your experience might have been a little better than Mary's, was it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed every minute of yesterday, with the build-up to it and, and the support and the jump itself I enjoyed. Now, I will say that I'd say if I landed three fields away, no one would have missed me. It was all about Mary. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, enjoy, I enjoyed every part of it, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah, there, there was a bit of a delay in the takeoff. Did that add to nerves or, or anything? Uh, yeah. Sure, it, it did, it did, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was through no fault of the company at all. Course, there was yeah. the rain delays from the previous day, so people were carried over from the previous day. So, you know, they had to accommodate everybody. So, yeah, yeah, we were, we were last ones, last ones up. Yeah, well, well, what what a response! And to get the, all the headlines in the newspapers today is is fantastic because, of course, the cause is being mentioned as well, which is all important, isn't it, Mike? Uh, sure, that's it, Fran. Yeah, yeah. And look, at I know it, uh, the headlines are all about Mary, and rightly so. But um, certainly now, from people I've been speaking to and messages that we got, it's it, it, the cause is, is a huge part of the donations as well. People were only anxious to find some way of, of contributing to to yes. the, the funds that we're raising. So yeah, the cause is huge. And, yeah. and thirty thousand yeah. there thereabouts at this point. How will that be spent, Mike? How will that be used? Well, sure. Look at the two the two um, funds that we're, we're donating to have uh, people on the ground in Gaza, medical aid for Palestine. Have uh, it's a UN based company, and uh, they work with the UN, and they have people on the ground there, so it'll go directly to Gaza. And the same with uh, uh, the Children's Relief Fund for for Gaza. So it'll be used. It'll be used properly anyway. You can be assured of that. I presume that it put a bit of a shadow on that that fantastic event yesterday when you heard what's happening in Rafa at the moment oh, in southern Gaza, Mike. It's it's really yeah, unfortunate, yeah, isn't it? Sure. it? It's it's shocking. It's shocking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that, you know, I mean, the Irish government have been fairly vocal about mm-hmm. it, but, I mean, other governments in the Western world are just, you know, yeah. standing back and letting this happen. It's absolutely scandalous. Yeah, one of our listeners making a very good point there that, you know, Biden is making these phone calls to to Netanyahu and all of that, but they're still supplying they're still supplying the weaponry and the uh, uh, supplying the weaponry and cutting off the main aid that was going to Gaza. Yeah. 
I don't think this is going to ever be forgotten about what, what's, what's happening right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. scandal. Would, would it be the great tragedy of our time, do you, do you think, Mike? Would you? I mean, that's what I've been saying for the last few weeks, that uh, this is going to be a part of history that will be spoken about for a long time. And yeah, yeah. 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 Some so, some people say it's like a kind of a fly on the wall uh, situation uh, in in the same way as if we had access to what was happening in the concentration camps in in, in Germany back at the time is that, is that a fair description I, yeah. do you think yeah I certainly think the, so. the difference yeah, now yeah. is that we can see what's going on that's, it. Real time, that's yeah. it yeah 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 I mean it's in plain sight for everyone to see and yes you know there's still there's still it's still been tolerated and and. I, I I know it's hard to get your head around it, really. Is that just? Will you continue fundraising, Mike? How how will that uh, go? It's 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 going to be closed next weekend, Fran. And uh, yeah, so uh, anyone that's still willing to donate, by all means, do so. Yeah, mm. we're we're leaving it open until next weekend. And how can you do that? How how can you donate? The GoFundMe page is still open. Um, sure, Mary McDonald Skydive, you'll find it. Um, so yeah, that's 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 how we're gathering money, and it's still coming in. Now I'm sure you've had love and admiration for your mother right throughout your life, but I mean, does this take it to a whole other other level? If you'll forgive the pun. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I knew, I knew she had it in her friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now look at I, I when when she when she landed in, and uh, I was just uh, after landing myself, and I, I saw people kind of racing to her assistance. I, I was kind of thinking to myself, what have I done to her? Yes. But uh, uh, she's, she's tough as nails. She's tough and, as nails, uh, yeah. One, one, yeah, yeah. Wonderful woman. And uh, well done, Mike, on, on all that you've been doing. And uh, great to talk to you today. And thanks for making time for us, Mike. And my best to uh, Mary. Uh, thank, thank you, friend, for all the promotion you've done about it as well. It's all been a huge help. Um, yeah, thanks a million. Well, welcome, Mike. Look after yourself. And thanks very much again. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That is uh, uh, Mike uh, there and his mum, Mary McDonald speak to us about that adventure yesterday, jumping out of that plane in Clonbelogue in County Offaly, 13,000 feet up, and all in terms of uh, raising uh, much-needed funds, I suppose, for um, uh, the uh, Palestinians there who are uh, suffering greatly at the moment. 1800 Patrick says, well done, Mary, I wouldn't jump out of a plane at 54, not alone <laughs> 70, 75. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Patrick. We'll be back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 1800 That's the free phone number, by the way, if you want to speak to Leanne today. Tipperary Women in Business on Tip FM. Funded by Commission Naman. With the television license fee. 
this week's Women in Business, I'm delighted to be joined by a great friend of the show, and that's Alison Devere Hunt. Good morning to you, Alison. Morning, How are Fran. you? Normally, when you're in here, we're talking about various different things that happen during the week and politics and all of that kind of thing because you're part of the panel so often. But today, we're talking about you. Are you comfortable talking about you? I'm not great talking about me. I like to say push it away but look we'll give it a go anyway <laughs> yeah well we're delighted to see you today um, tell me about you because uh, your education background is kind of interesting to begin with because you're trained as a psychologist and you have a master's degree in business and you end up in Cashel Mart um, yeah say I started did my psychology degree over in London and with a view to maybe doing criminology or child psychology and then I went to a careers careers fair and DIT were there. And this was a careers fair in Dublin. And my goal was to go and do a master's because um, the psychology degree is quite broad. So really, you can maybe go into research straight away or you have to do a lot more um, study. So I spoke to them at DIT and they told me that they had a master's for science graduates. Um, in business and entrepreneurship. And I said, God, that's quite interesting. Um, so I applied for that and started in 2008. Um, and it was great because there was people coming from all different kinds of engineering backgrounds. Everyone was a science student that yes. was in it. Um, so it was coming from a different kind of perspective as well. I said it to my late father that I was going to do the Masters in Business. He said, that's what you should have been doing in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was grand. Yes, your Did, notions about psych. Exactly, exactly. But look, say it, it ties in quite well. So that was good. Yes. And then when I graduated from that, we were in the downturn. Mm. So I was at home applying for jobs there was a job actually going in... Oh, no, that was actually earlier. But So my dad said to me, would you come in and work in the mart? And I was jumped at it because anything for a few pounds. Mm. And I only saw it really as a stopgap. And I was there a year when he said to me, would I go back and study again to get my auctioneer's licence? Mm. So I said, sure, I may as well. So it was the real estate aspect of the, the, the mart, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I was kind of involved in every part yeah. of it. It's yeah. one of those family businesses where you don't really specialise in one area. You're kind of there and whoever, you know, you're the first point, point of contact yes. often, so it yeah. could be anything. So my quickest route that I saw was to go back and do another master's. So I started that in 2012, and it was a part-time, a two-year part-time master's. So my father, unfortunately, passed away suddenly at the end of 2012. And I was like, OK, how can I push this into one year? Because I can't afford to take the time to do it over two. So they were very accommodating in DIT and fairness. And I managed to pull in with the quantity surveyor. Lads, you'll say, because there wasn't one woman on the group. Um, and I was able to do extra modules that way. Um, to be honest, that kind of, for me, say, I was working like, you know, say, every hour God sent. Mm. And then, like I'd say, I was doing up to 70 hours a week work and then driving up to Dublin two evenings a week to do that. So, to be honest, all I had in my head was work. It was probably my way of grieving as well. Um, so, I finished that in the summer of 2013, got my licence and... Yeah, I'd say there I've been in the mart ever since, full time. Like we were always there as kids. It's been, we've we've had it in the family since nineteen sixty eight. So it's um 
like another sibling, really. It of takes, course, yeah. Know. And, I mean, you mentioned even where the, the surveyors were concerned, but again, in the agribusiness, very unusual for a woman to be doing what you're doing, even now, you know. I mean, how how have you been accepted uh, all those years? Well, and to be honest, say I'm part of, uh, say we have a Mart Association, a lot of women involved in that, you know. Um, you have the likes of um, Emer up in Donegal March, you have Helen Keenan there in Kingscourt who gets up on the rostrum and sells as well. I don't do that, yeah. I have the qualification to do it, but I'll leave that to the lads. They're um, very competent in that department. Yeah. So, um, But no, I don't find it an issue. Now, speaking to other women, they find sometimes that they can be, that they feel a bit intimidated mm. um, in a ring full of men and bidding on stock or selling their stock. Um, but Look, I suppose when I first became qualified, you'd get the, are any of the men around? And I'm like, well, what do you need done? Well, I need evaluation. When do you need it? Oh, I kind of needed it two weeks ago. And I'm like, well, look, I can do it for you and you'll have it done by tomorrow. I can be yes. out this afternoon. Or, you know, one of the lads, well, you, you could be waiting a week or so. And um, sure, then they were like, yeah, grant. You know, I think it was just in their psyche that they didn't think that you know I did that you know yeah so. but but you you seem to deal with it with good humor as opposed to being deeply offended as a a, a woman if you know what I mean completely yeah. say I don't see I see myself as an equal I have four brothers so I grew up in a house always fighting my own corner and I would consider myself probably a kind of a strong-willed woman um but to be honest the men have been very fair and decent and even I see like I've a three-year-old son and if it's a you know someone needs me to go out and do something, I, if he's with me, which he usually isn't because of preschool, but I'll say to them, look, there's a chance now the small fella could be with me. No problem at all. Bring him on. They're only delighted to see him. So there's a flexibility in that too, which, which is great. Yeah. yeah, you you spoke quite open uh, openly to me in the past about the loss of your father to to suicide, Alison. Yeah. and it always strikes me that that was pivotal. In, in a lot of ways for you. Would you, would that, you agree with massively, that? Massively. Like, yeah. that was pivotal for me in relation to my opinion and speaking it. Yes. Because, say, I suppose, look, that, say, my father was under a lot of pressure. It wasn't a suicide from depression. Um, and he was put under an awful lot of pressure. And, like, I suppose the shock. You know, when you look back at things, you kind of maybe could see, you know, little chinks and that, that... Um, but at the time, oh, we were in a complete and utter bubble. But I kind of got this sensation of, sure, what's the worst that can happen? Speak up, tell the truth, be honest, because at the end of the day, we've only one life. It's very yes. short. And I don't think, you know, my opinions aren't coming from a bad place. Um, I believe in betterment for everyone. I believe there's enough there for us all. And I don't like cute whores, shall I say. Yeah. Um, so I'd be quite strong in speaking up, especially to people who are a bit clever and want to take advantage. And I suppose where I'm lucky in that sense, because I don't, I don't put the letters after my name, I've no interest in that kind of thing in relation to education. And I would have had a lot of farmers coming to me during the protests saying, you get up and speak about that. You know, you're much more in tune and you've, you know, you're educated. And I was like, but you've been doing this all your life. You should be the one speaking up because you know exactly. You know, I know them too. But, you know, there was a, a lack of confidence there. Whereas I suppose 
I grew in a different way after my father died and it was an awful time and we went through many years of not knowing where we were, you know, going mm. to be and if we could continue with the business and everything. And my mother, in fairness, she is a Trojan woman um, and has really, you know, say... She's quite political in her views too. A lot of people say we're very alike. A lot of people meet her on the street and say, I heard you on the radio today. And she's like, no, that was Alison. <laughs> like, we look like each yeah. other. We sound like each other. But to be honest, only for her, she kept the show on the road. And I like as a woman, you know, say she was faced with a lot of hardship because we were in NAMA and she had to go up against the big guns and... She did it eloquently and superbly. And to be honest, she instilled a lot of pride in us all. And, you know, it was a difficult time, but, you know, we've got through it and we're all getting on well. And, you know, it's it's great to be, you know, part of a good family. And the Ireland that we're in now in 2024, God knows this morning even, we've been discussing all of the, the issues and the difficulties um, that we're facing, even though we hear that from a financial point of view, the, the country is in a great place and all of that. But your experience, that particularly talking to farmers all the time, would not reflect No, that. my experience of that would not reflect that whatsoever. Um, and for the ordinary person, you know, if all this money is around the country, why aren't we looking after people? You know, and they're talking about the price of consumables, food and all that coming down. I don't see that. You know, um, I think people are under a lot of pressure and I think they're being ignored. Um and I just think, look, I mentioned the referendum on Friday and you were speaking with Surikit this morning mm. about it. I am, say, completely for a no vote. Um, you know, I was up in Dublin yesterday and the Green Party had signs up, yes, for family. Like, I think, you know, I think, to be honest, they should be pulled up because I don't, from what I'm reading, and I would be in agreement with Surika this isn't going to be of any benefit for the family. I don't see the reason for this referendum in the first place. Well, well, they're saying that, I mean, and I'm interested in your opinion on this, that this draconian language referring to women in, in the home needs to be taken out of it because of the, the age that we're in now. And we mentioned that on Friday as well. Yeah. I don't see anything draconian about it. I think we're, there's so much, say, language being feisted upon us. Um, I think it was a very poorly thought out. Um, the wording is all wrong. I don't see the necessity to remove women from the home, you know, or say. And I think it's, you know, not that it's really, you know, being used or not being used. But I think as women, we've never been poorer. As, say, an independent woman myself who, you know, um, works full time, rears a child on my own, yeah, it's this idea that women can have it all is complete and utter codswallop, as far as I can see, because there's this guilt that you have when you're, you know, not there, when you are at work. And I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful mother who takes Philip for me every Saturday. But I definitely think, I think there's a, a, a thing against women at the moment. Do you think yeah, so? Yeah, definitely. And I think... And where, where is that coming from, do you think? Well, I think it's coming from government um, you know there's so like I suppose women being made go into the workplace you know it was seen as being you know say pivotal and forward thinking but I think it had the opposite effect you know when we look back to when we were growing up as children there was generally one parent at home and one parent working 
there was one parent paying for a mortgage. You know, mm. one wage yes. was coming yeah. in. Now people are working two and three jobs and they still can't make ends meet. Like we've never been more advanced and supposedly more educated, but we've never been poorer. You know, and say that's not just financially. We're time poor. Um, we, you know, say are slaves to our work and, you know, the way society views us. That I think it's not archaic um, or draconian in any sense. It's like women, women have the babies. Women are there, you know, say, and a lot of women who work for themselves, they're back in work within six weeks yeah. Um, yeah. because they have to be. Um but I just think to try and take it out and of the, the constitution irony is that it's it's largely women pushing this this vote. I mean, you know, Helen McEntee is out there, and even Mary Lou's out there on this. You know. Yeah, but the thing is, I wouldn't put it as a woman man thing there. Like they're all pushing things that, like Helen McEntee, Mary Lou, they're pushing the hate speech bill. You know, they're pushing a lot of things that aren't good for us as a democratic society. Mm. Um, so, like, I wouldn't push... You know, we're hearing, say, Helen McEntee coming out about myths and this and that. And mm. What about the truths? Mm. Why don't we ever hear the truths? And why, you know, are we kind of drip-fed half bits of information? People are going to make up their mind and people who are articulate, articulate enough are going to read up and find alternative mm. sources of media to, yeah, so to get you, their information. You, you must have found it very interesting in, in the Times poll there where they, they were talking about largely there's going to be a yes vote primarily because people don't fully understand no. it. But they, there was a very interesting line in it that said that the more informed people are voting now. Completely. Like when you read uh, up you about it. Well, the thing is, there's a lot of caveats to this. Like, yeah. um, oh, what's his name? Um, he's a Fina, he was a Fianna Gael senator. Um, he was in Tipperary last week, actually. Um, but I can't think of mm. his name. He was down with Gareth O'Hearn. He was on the television last week talking about the reunification. Mm. And, you know, with this um, referendum that's coming, people are going to be able to bring in a lot of family members. Um, Stanton was saying in the Shannon... These are people who have immigrated here, you mean? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, on average, the application is kind of 20 yes. pe extra family members, but they've had applications of up to 70. Yeah. Like, I think there's something maybe sinister that we're not being told. And I, what I find very strange is it's a referendum. We're supposed to be getting both sides of the story, but we seem to be really getting the yes side. And that's government are pushing that majorly. Um, and I think people don't aren't as trusting anymore. I think sometimes when they see government mm. coming out saying this, they're like, OK, I better read up a bit on this because a lot of stuff that they've been pushing in the past hasn't actually turned out to be what they told us. And the, the kind of... The, the, what, what you're saying to me there, is that the general thinking among people of your age, women of your age, that you would be in contact with, Alison? Is that...? Yeah, say so, you now I wouldn't have had many discussions about yeah. it. But um, definitely, yeah, I would say a lot of people I know are going to vote no. Right. Um, and I hope they do. I don't see the need for this change. You know, yeah. like when we spoke on Friday, you mentioned the gentleman up in Nina who brought the case. to the yes. It ended up in the Supreme Court. Like surely that just kind of shows us we do not need um, to have this referendum. I think there's stronger things that we should be having referendums on, maybe like our neutrality. You know, when you look at the Canadian warship down in the port of Cork at the moment, like 
it's crazy what's going on and we don't seem to have a say in the democratic country that we're supposed to live in. You you know, a lot of what you're saying to me there sounds sort of faintly like a, pa- a party political broadcast. <laughs> in some, I mean, what about politics for you? Because there's much speculation about that, Alison, as you, as you well know, that, you know, you're so outspoken, you're so opinionated about so and so informed about so many things. Is that something that you, you'd look at? I don't know. Say, I've been asked a number of times, in, say, coming up to, say, the last national election and the one before that, um, and funnily enough, mainly by parties. But I'm not a kind of party person. Um, I like the idea of independent because you can, you know, to a degree, say what you like and say what you think. Um I don't know, say, mm. maybe, and to be honest, after each election, I go, well, maybe the next time. Yeah, and then yeah. I'm, because, you know, say I would have been in my 30s and now I'm 41 and I'm like going, God, if you wait till the next time, you'll be nearly 50. You know, so I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I think at the moment going into politics, it's going to be, if if the likes of independents, let's say, were to get in, which I think there's a high possibility a lot of independents are going to get in. It would be some sort of coalition. But, oh, my God, the change that will be needed. And I think part of the problem is, and you were speaking about it earlier this morning, um, in relation to Georgia Maloney and that. Yes. There is a change when people get into politics that they kind of toe a line Um and it's more of a tunnel kind of route rather than... And does that worry you then? Well, it would worry me because, you know, we've been promised so much you're coming up to every election and then when it comes in, it never comes to fruition. Yes. Um, so I would have definite, you know, concerns there. I don't think I'd be one for turning, to be perfectly honest. I um, would consider myself a person of integrity. Um but it's very hard when everybody's, you know, telling mm. you you have to do this. And that was quite evident for us in the beef protests. And we were pushed and of pushed course, and pushed. Yeah. And to, but you know, do I gather from you that there's an awful lot of people out there who are not represented? Completely. Yeah. Say most of the population, I feel, aren't represented because the parties that are there at the moment all stand by the same thing. Like I would say uh, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, the Greens they're basically kind of two sides of the one coin. Um, no, they would disagree. They would, but say, from that, looking yeah. from the outside in and, you know, they come together on a lot of issues that you're kind of there going, oh, like, look at the vulture fund vote, things like that, um, where you'd go, common sense should prevail here. Mm. Look at where we are. Um, and bringing in laws, you know, in relation to, like they have in Canada and Thailand and places like that where, yeah, you can buy property here. But you can't, say, if you sell the property, you can't take the money out of this country. You know, things like that, so that it will open doors for our young people who are saving so hard that end up having to emigrate because they're never going to be on any kind of, you know, have a house or a home. And I think we're kind of, you know, we're not looking at them. And like there's Simon Harris this morning offering 750,000 to bring builders back to Ireland. Like... When you look at 800,000 for Ukrainian pets coming in, it's a pretty small drop in the ocean. Plus, it's not acknowledging why they went away in the first place. Completely. And, like, to be honest, fair enough, like, I went away, I travelled, and there's all this notion of, oh, we were immigrants and this, Mm, that and the other. I don't buy into that. I never got any handouts anywhere I went. Granted, a lot of the reason I went was for a bit of fun and to see the world and to expand on my knowledge. I think travel is a great um, educator. Mm -hmm. 
But I do think a lot of these want to come home, these people, and what's their firm? They're not going to have anywhere to live. They, you know, there's, they're foreigners in their own country, essentially, because they're not, they're down the pecking order in relation of getting a house if they need to go on any list or anything like that. And I can't understand how, and I don't see it as being right wing, how to not look, you know, this thing of, oh, well, we can't look after our own, basically. We have to look after everybody coming in. But, like, we're Irish people. We live in Ireland. You know, we grew up here. Our parents have grown up here. We've all contributed to society. I really can't understand. And people will disagree with me and say, oh, they're not being treated better. But, like, you know, Roderick O'Gorman translated it into seven languages. Come here. You will have your own front door key within four months. Like, why are we offering things that we cannot follow through in? I think at the time he said that, it was probably a very different situation and we thought it was going to be a short-term situation. But isn't it going to open the floodgates? You know, it was always going to, like, to be honest, we'd all move if you're going to get, you know, your own home front door key. Can I ask you about the business you're in? And particularly, let's take the last 10 years, farming. Um, What is the situation at the moment? Because as a non-farmer, even just dipping into the subject once a week, it's, it seems chaotic and farmers are yeah. very frustrated. They are and there's so much bureaucracy. And right across Europe now. Completely. And I suppose, look, going back to 2019 when we held the protests and they went well, very well initially and being up in Ag House debating... Like, and, you know, we were no, we were like, no, we're not taking this. Yeah, there was a few caveats of um, positiveness. But in general, the deal was poor. Um, And, you know, basically when I said, no, we're not accepting the deal, the Assistant Secretary General was there as I was speaking, totting away. And I was like, excuse me, Sinead. I said, have you got a problem? Oh, no, 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 I don't. And I kind of thought, how dare you? We're here. Like, nobody was getting paid. And not that it's about that. But I didn't even realise I was pregnant at the time. And like, we're there for 36 hours. We're not allowed leave. Um, you know, you might be told you can head out for an hour to get something to eat or that. Like, it was, there was, say, mind games at play, definitely. But for me, where I was really disappointed, because there was many stakeholders around that table, and I thought I was in, quite impressed by the hill, uh, the hill farmers, um, because they they came across as having integrity. But the rest of them, like they were like, "Yeah, we'll take the deal," and I was kind of like, "But you're, you know, what are we after standing on the picket lines for the last, say, six, seven weeks to just, you know, take the deal with really nothing to go home with?" and I think farmers in Ireland were not great at standing together. Mm. Um, mm. And I would have had farmers coming into me when they'd have seen the Jeep going, come on now, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I'm like going, you think I have a lot more power than I actually do. You know, I can't, I don't but, have... But even the recent farmer protest here was seen as just an act of solidarity as opposed to a protest. But sure, that's what it was. Like to go and bring a number of tractors and put them on the flyovers of the motorway. Like, that's not going to do anything. Like, the boys in Athlone and women say there was women there as well because it's one of the things that goaded me slightly. There was a guy who was doing a lot of um, reporting from there and everything was the men this and the men that and the men the other, Uh, which I don't really care, but it's kind of like women have been working on the farm for a long, long time and keeping the show on the road too and it hasn't been celebrated. Um, But I think in Athlone, the farmers 
had a tougher stance, you know, and they gave Charlie McConnell a bit of grief, and rightly so, you know. And he, show, he if he'd come out to them in the first place and just showed a bit of common courtesy. But I think the main problem here is we're not standing together. Um, look at France, look at Germany. Bro- uh, and Belgium. the concessions that they got by, yeah. by standing together. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Alison, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Fran. Cope with an awful lot of different areas there for sure, but we wish you well for the future. And uh, uh, politics, maybe? Oh, Jeannie, I don't know, Fran. Yeah. I'd be uh, very much on the fence there. <laughs> All right. Great to see you, Alison. Thank you, Thanks Fran. very much indeed. We'll take a break back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, Nina will play host uh, this week to an exhibition focused on menopause. And Fanula McKenna is uh, the woman behind it and she joins me now. Fanula, good morning to you. Hello, friend. How are you doing? Thanks um, for having me on. You're very, you're very welcome indeed. Tell me what it is we can expect at uh, the Arts Centre, Fanula. Okay, so it's not an exhibition. It's a series of workshops uh, uh, spanning uh, eight weeks, starting from the 13th, which is Tuesday, till the 2nd of April, between 3 and 4.30. So basically what I'm doing, I'm offering women the opportunity to come and explore issues around their experience um, of menopause and and it's not just menopause itself, because menopause is just a, a term that's used in women's life cycle. But it's more to do with how they experience the lack of attention that is given to their health in general. Whereas um, what, what happens is that it, it's, a, it's a lack of, of hormones, um, it's a depletion of hormones, yes. and how that affects our body. It, it strikes me, though, Fanula, that in recent years, there's more openly. Uh, open discussion about menopause than there ever was before. Well, absolutely, and it took a long time to break down the doors. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And many, many women had to suffer a lot. So, for example, you know, diabetes is a result of a lack of uh, an influx, fluctuation in the hormone insulin. Um, thyroid imbalance is also a similar uh, experience. But, you know, they're treatable, and they are treated, and they're recognised as very, very important to treat. And menopause has been left behind. It also is a result of fluctuation of hormones that impacts greatly on women. Those symptoms, though, have been denied to be displayed publicly by women because they've always been associated with a part of womanhood to do with reproduction. And um, the hormones that we're talking about that one is depleted of in in perimenopause and menopause, oestrogen and uh, progesterone, they have huge impacts in all various areas in our body and not just in our reproduction system. So the fact that they've been hidden from us and and we've been denied the opportunity to discuss them and the impacts that they have on our lives, that's the issue and that's the importance. And for me, this is a wonderful opportunity I, was, I received an Agility Award from the Arts Council, which was absolutely wonderful. And Nina Arts Centre rode in behind me and made available a room for me to run these classes. And uh, yeah, It's interesting. It, it, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, Fanula, when menopause was referred to as the change. Um, I, 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 but I'm, I'm wondering now, while that was sort of draconian old stuff, is it a change that's being reflected in some of what you'll be doing in your workshops? 
I would like to give a voice to women to concentrate on the lack of attention that's given to women's bodies medically yes. in general and also to offer women the opportunity to reflect back in history as to how women were treated, what's happening today in the present tense and what we want in the future. And I know myself when I turned 50, my body just started to collapse and I am quite an agile person. I thought I'd be hiking mountains. Well, that was my intention and, you know, going off with the kids and whatever else. Mm. But I got a shock. I just went downhill. It was like I fell off the top of the ladder and I just plummeted. And I couldn't understand. And my doctors, who were lovely, two sisters, who just... And I had a fracture. I broke my ankle in a fall or whatever. I've had a hip replaced. I mean, it's ludicrous, really, when all the signs were there. And... Since I went on HRT in uh, 2020, my life just changed again. I came back, I, I, my, my hormones were replenished, and I'm back to the energetic person that I was all, always was innately, you know? But, but the, that difficult time for you, did that inform you uh, greatly? And uh, does it reflect itself in your work, for example, Fanula? And it did, actually. I, I went back to college and did a master's in creative practice. But I have to say... For all what it, the worst it was, it was very, very painful time. And there are so many women suffering the same things within families, and families don't understand what's going on. Women themselves don't yeah. know what's going on. I didn't know what was going on. It's just I happened to see um, a, a, a TV program in the middle of the day, and Dr. Deirdre Lundy happened to be interviewed, and, and there was a light bulb moment, and I went, oh, my goodness, because I didn't exhibit the traditional what was seemed traditional um, symptoms of hot flushes and, mm. you know, weight, um, um, excess weight, whatever. I didn't manifest those. But there were other symptoms that I was greatly manifesting, but I couldn't put into any category medically. It's very interesting. Did, did you come out of all of that, though, a, a different Fanula, if you know what I mean? No, I came out of it angry. Yeah. <laughs> angry, lack of attention. And the fact that I had to go through that um, was unnecessary and I started to have almost dialogues with my mother who I was beginning to see um, images of this of, of similar behaviour and going, oh, now I understand what was going on with her at that particular time or why we had that argument or that row or whatever it was. And I'm going like, oh my God. And, you know, she passed away now since 2015 so I'll never have a, an opportunity to discuss with her and put my arm around her and say, gosh, you know, you poor thing. Nobody ever paid any attention because, you know, it was hidden under the rug. And she was a nurse, <laughs> you know? It's incredible, isn't it? What, what about men's attitude um, to menopause? Um, because often there's an element of, of kind of lampooning it in some way as well, you know? Um, how, how do you feel about that, Fanula? Well, in the past, if you ever look at the, you know, Les Dawson and all those, yeah. you know, comics, comics way back in the day when we were younger, I'd say before my bit timid, um, you know, it was very, very um, derogatory, really. And women were always the butt of the joke and were expected to laugh. And I remember my mother not laughing at those jokes. And, you know, yeah. and then if you didn't joke, the women who didn't laugh at those jokes were used, were deemed, you know, prudish. It's not a, it wasn't a nice time, and it still isn't a nice time for women. So the amount of energy that women, you know, mid-40s, 50s, 60s, we have so much to give with, so much knowledge. We, we could educate, the, you know, the populace because we have gathered such wisdom, such experience, 
know, for the vast majority of women, not every woman, but a lot of women have children, juggle so much in the household. You know, we're kind of experts at a lot of things. And and then, you know, past 50, 55, we're kind of pushed aside mm. and made invisible. And, and, and that's a crime, really, because we've got great intellect and great things to offer society. So tell me about the workshops then. It, it's a series, I understand, Fanuli. It kicks off tomorrow, I think, in the Art Centre. Is that right? Yeah, it kicks off tomorrow, 3 o'clock till about half four. And generally, this is a very, very welcome, um, at ease, you know, round the table chat. We will discuss issues. I have, a you know, a suite of, of, of topics to discuss and to talk. But basically, what I'm really wanting to do and evoke from the women is a sense of pride in themselves to tap back into their own and strength of when they were kids, pick up on those little threads and wrap those around some of the topics that we, we will discuss. And at home, in their journal, they, they'll, they'll express those in whatever medium that they choose and that come natural. So it's really about a little bit of unravelling of, the, of the, the many, many layers that have surrounded them all through the years of whatever they've been in, involved with through the, throughout their life. So it's a matter of just kind of peeling back the onion very, very sensitively and very gently and getting women involved in trusting and talking to each other and, and experiencing their strength. And you don't have to be an artist uh, to be involved with this, I guess. No, I'm the artist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm using art too to help explore because very often art is a great medium to delve into to problems. Um, it's a very gentle avenue, it's a very gentle conduit to you when you want to diffuse situations or tap into emotions or tap into conflict. It, it, it's very, very much used in, in a lot of situations. So it's a nice, gentle approach. So it's open to any woman who wants to come along, any woman. Now, we have to limit it to about 15 because, you know what, sometimes, you know, too many and you just don't get the value. Yes. But I'd love a maximum of, of, of 15 women to come along and it's free and it's a great opportunity. I put a lot of work and a lot of research and as I said, I'm, I'm being granted by the Arts Council which has been wonderful to, to give this. So this is my gift to women, you know. Very good. And I'll be doing online, I'll be doing online um, workshops with a group of uh, women from WhatsApp groups that I was instrumental in setting up throughout the country. Um, there's a wonderful, fantastic group called the Irish Menopause run by Sally uh, Brady, Sally Ellen Brady and Claire Peel. And they've about 57,000 women are in that group. And wow. they do amazing work with women. And if people want to come along, I guess they have to register in some way. How, how do you do that? <laughs> if they could ring the Arts uh, Centre and, and book with them. I think they, or if they look up the website, I'm not looking after the marketing, that marketing end of it, um, but it's, all the information is on the uh, Nina Art uh, programme. All right, very good, very good. And we, we'll have that here with uh, Leanne if anybody wants to give us, a, give us a call about it. Fanula, we wish you well and lovely to talk to you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's great to have this opportunity. So if any woman is out there listening, please come along or send a friend or just spread the word. All right, Fanula. Good morning to you and thanks very much, Lee. That's uh, Fanula McKenna there. Uh, Menopause, uh, that series of workshops kicking off tomorrow at lovely Nina Art Centre. That's about it from me. Uh, Leanne produced and uh, Ellie looks after her content and Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. 
tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 